This is the pilot episode of Perspectives with John LeBon, released Friday, February 3, 2017. On Tuesday, January 31, 2017, I spoke with Negan Tropic, a veteran of the online scene which some people nowadays refer to as the Truth Movement. Neg contributes his thoughts to a number of online forums and goes by different usernames, so it's possible that you may have stumbled upon his work without even realising it. Among his most notable contributions are the Negan Tropic Chronicles, an intermittent series of compilation podcasts which feature audio from a variety of sources, such as other podcasts and archival footage, interspersed with Neg's own readings from philosophers such as Nietzsche and Schopenhauer. The Negan Tropic Chronicles often surpass five hours in length and, as you'll hear for yourself in the following podcast, Neg is a man of deep thoughts which are not always easily conveyed via one or two sentences. In an age of instant gratification and rapidly decreasing attention spans, Neg's style and outlook may not instantly endear him to certain audiences, but for those with patience, there will be plenty for you to gain from the conversation which is to follow. Neg takes us through his history in the scene, beginning in 2001 when he immediately suspected that something was amiss with the official 9-11 story. Many online, would-be truth-tellers quickly gained notoriety for their 9-11 was an inside job shtick, but as Neg explains, each of them proved to be a hindrance rather than a help for those interested in sorting facts from fiction. The similarities between what happened back then and what happens today will not be lost on listeners who have been involved in the truther scene for any length of time. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Neg's reflections on the characters of the conspiracy media during the years following 9-11 offer useful insights into how and why the prominent YouTubers of today and their audiences behave the way they do. Why is it that some people can produce amazing research and content on one subject and reveal the deceptions involved in official narratives of one type or another, but then appear completely unable to see through a different deception as though they are no more sceptical or aware than a typical normie? Some people explain this away as paid shillery, limited hangout operations deliberately designed to gatekeep would-be truth-seekers from learning too much. Is this the only, or best, explanation? Neg and I spend some time on this topic and cite as case studies the likes of Simon Shack and Clues Forum, the Holocaust revisionist Eric Hunt, Ab of Fakeologist, and more. Ultimately, how much benefit can be derived from consuming alternative or independent media, especially that concerned with media fakery? Are we better off for leaving behind Plato's cave? Or is this simply something we try to tell ourselves now that we feel there is no going back? These are some of the questions I want to delve into throughout the Perspective series, and Neg's keen interest in continental philosophy yields a fascinating analysis of the phenomenological experience involved in what I call deprogramming. So then, let's get on with the conversation. Let's get started on 911 and then keep it going from there. Forget biography, forget introductory. People pretty much know me online because I've been online for about five years straight now. I've only taken like a one-month break at the most. I've pretty much been posting every day or every other day for like five years now as far as the political posts go. Yeah, what I'll do is I'll just I'll yeah. probably record uh, in post-production just like an introduction. Here's Negan Tropic. Here's what we're going to talk about. 
and then we just jump straight into the conversation and then we just right, go straight from there. How's that sound? All right, let's go. Let's go. All right, cool. So, uh, so let's get into, I guess, one of the most important topics to a lot of people who are interested in these kinds of things, and that is, of course, 9-11. Now, there's lots that can be said about 9-11. There's many different angles to attack or ideas to discuss. So why don't you get the ball rolling for us there, Neg? What does 9-11 mean to you? What are some of your most important thoughts about the, uh, the event and the issue? Take it away. Okay, nine one one. Before the first time I got a computer, I got on a computer that was connected to the internet was when my brother got one. I was living with him, and I would use it all the time because at that time I was unemployed, so I was using his computer while he was at work, and then he would come back and he would show me stuff, and I would we would play video games and stuff like that. So I started my other brother one time when I visited him. He said something about, oh, do you think somebody told me that the the Holocaust story is not as we've been told? So I went and I researched that. I started researching and I started finding right away. I started finding people like Jeff Renz and some of these people that link to those sites. And at that time, there was there still is Radio Islam and some of these sites that linked to that kind of information that was at that time generally not available in the bookstores. And uh, I think, I'm not 100% sure, but I think he, my brother mentioned David Irving or some of these people that he'd, he'd heard from somebody else. So I checked David Irving and some of these other guys, and then I started researching the, the so-called Holocaust to see if it's valid. And after about six months, I decided that they'd cooked it up. You know? This was before 911, around 1999. So once the whole 911 thing happened, right away from the first day, I didn't believe it. You know, because I was already reading Chomsky and I was already reading all these other um, so-called, quote-unquote, anti-establishment figures, you know, that turned out not to be so anti-establishment. At that time, I had no idea about any of these terms that we later found out about, like limited hangout, how con artists work, the bait and hook and switch and all that stuff. The way they pull people into their... Uh, so-called gates and try to keep them in there so that they don't, they're not exposed to other ideas that might be uh, truer. To keep them from the truest path, they have to offer a little truth as bait and then keep them there. So on the very day of 911, I knew that it was there was something wrong with it because I watched it. I didn't even watch it on TV. I watched it on the computer, whatever they were showing on the computer. And I said, oh, okay, they're saying it's planes hit these buildings, but the buildings came down. How come? I asked myself that. Are they? So I guess they're going to explain that these guys that hijacked the planes and ran them into the buildings, they're going to explain now that they also rigged the buildings with bombs or whatever in order to bring them down in that controlled demolition that they supposedly both came down on. But then... Uh, it never happened. They never said it. They said that jet fuel did it. And I said, oh, man, this is bullshit. This is complete bullshit. So on the first day, I knew that it was BS. And then what I did on that day was I typed, I swear to God, I typed, what really happened? And I put a question mark at the end of it. And what came up with that guy's site, that Michael Rivero, I don't know if you've heard of him. You know that guy, whatreallyhappened.com? Have you ever heard of that sketch site? I think I might have heard of it, but I've got no idea like what was said on it or who Michael Rivero is, so fill us in. Yeah, go go to it right now. Type whatreallyhappened.com. You'll see it. Right, and that was, at that time, was a was a very popular site. It, it no longer is half as popular as it used to be, at least not with the 
more into it conspiracy thing, conspiracy crowd. So I've brought up Michael Rivero. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. I have I have heard of this guy and I've seen this guy. On the um, Metapedia page for this guy, he's wearing the, um, the Hawaiian shirt and it says that he is the radio show host in the alternative media, an anti-Zionist activist from the US, and uh, he claims to have worked for NASA, was a child actor, began his radio show in 1993, originally known as Rancho Runamuka, but is today called What Really Happened and features on Republic Broadcasting Network, previously featured on GCN and The Alex Jones Show. Uh, Rivero openly admits that his paternal ancestors were Sephardic Jews, but claims they converted to Christianity centuries ago, and today he lives in Hawaii with his wife, which would explain the Hawaiian shirt. Yep, he always wears a Hawaiian shirt to hide his... Uh, man boobs because he's he's a little heavy on top <laughs> they were making fun of him he did yeah, a couple so, of photoshops of him so there you and go then, so uh, i definitely had heard of him and i've probably read this exact same metapedia page before but obviously his prominence in this scene would have been before my time so uh that he's still prominent that. he's still prominent it's just that the more the people that are more into it have pretty much next to alex jones he's, he's considered one of the shields in the movement like there's the different hierarchies of shills that are the, the people that have been at it for a while. Like, let me tell you what happened with me with regards to this guy. So right after 911, I typed it into the computer and this guy's site came up. So this guy's site, I was already into the whole Israel-Palestinian conflict through Chomsky and I was trying to figure out who was on the right side. I was on the pro-Palestinian side. You know, I was going to Radio Islam to research the whole hoax and all that. So when when... What's this? Uh, Rivera came up at whatreallyhappened.com at that time. What he was doing is he was basically criticizing Israel all day, every day. He was pro Palestinian and criticizing Israel. So I thought, oh, this guy's all right. And I started reading his site. Then he started doing the whole 911 was an inside job thing. So I picked up on that. I go, oh, oh, cool. Another guy that thinks like me. And this is a big website. Oh, okay. Let's read this guy's site. So I started reading it, not realizing that. It might be just he might be just trying to gatekeep me or something. And then as I gradually started reading his site and other sites, mainly I was into reading this guy. And from this guy, only from this guy, I went to Alex Jones. When this guy, when Alex Jones gave this guy a job on GCN to do a radio show, I that's the first time that I ever signed up on GCN so that I could listen to Michael Rivera's shows. The Michael Rivera shows turned out to be really boring, his audios, because he wasn't a good uh, presenter. So Alex Jones was on the same network, and he was always, you always heard his name. So I went to the Alex Jones, uh, I started listening to the Alex Jones radio shows, then I got into Alex Jones from there, from Michael Rivera. In the beginning, I had no idea that he was a Sephardic Jew or whatever. He claims to be atheist, but... From his name, from Michael Rivera being kind of similar to uh, similar to Geraldo Rivera, that guy who was a famous TV guy who got into Al Capone's vaults and there was nothing there on TV and he made a big to-do about it. So I was kind of like suspecting it, but I was 100% sure. And then when he came out with it, I was kind of like surprised. I go, oh, oh, how come he didn't say this from the beginning so that everybody knew where he was coming from? You know, or maybe he did and nobody knew about it. But it took me a couple of years before I found that. And when I found that, I was kind of 
oh, okay, why is this guy telling me now? So I started listening to him less, and I started going more to Alex Jones and some of these other sites. And then Jeff Rents, of course, from the beginning, before, from even before 911, I'd come across Jeff Rents. And from there on, from there, I went to the other sites. And uh, I, I followed the standard narrative of the alternative media, which is the loose change narrative. Once the loose change movie came out, that's the narrative that took hold, which is, yeah, it was an inside job. Yeah, Saudis didn't do it. Somebody else did it, but they did it with the same how as the official media set, the official mass media version. It's the same how, it's just a different who done it. It's the same people, it's the same way that it was done with planes, except it they were not they were hijacked in a different way by different people through and their explanation was through remote controlled planes through what is called supposedly global hawk remote control which supposedly fought, uh, well they say that, that they've proven that they flew a plane by remote control with no pilot from the at that time from the US all the way to Australia so that was their story so Loose Change came out in about 2005, and I think they released a few different versions between 2005 and the following years. But you're saying that you'd been listening to GCN or to Alex Jones since about 2001. So what you're saying is 2001, you didn't really believe the official story, but you went along with some of these uh, alternative, supposedly alternative um, you know, figures or, or speakers or presenters or what have you. Loose Change comes out, and a lot of people seem to buy into this idea that, like you said... It really happened, people really died, but it was the uh, Saudis or it was the Zionists or whoever it was that people wanted to blame, but still going along with this notion that 3,000 people died. When was it that you first started to question the notion that the 3,000 people was real or that the planes were real? Right away, not not the 3,000 people were real, but right away I knew it was an inside job and all that stuff, so I was going along with the Alex Jones thing and he was saying it was an inside job and all this. Uh, Rivera was saying it was an inside job. Jeff Friends was saying it was, all of these people were saying inside job. David Icke put out a book and he was saying it was an inside job. There was a guy named Thierry Massan or whatever from France who put out a small book online that said it was an inside job. So they were all saying it was an inside job, but nobody was saying that it was done in any way differently from the official mass media how of the events, how it was done, except that instead of uh, using real planes, they uh, used remote control planes. Instead of having real hijackers, they had hijackers from the ground using so-called global hawk. And then uh, later they had, uh, of course, they had the buildings rigged for demolition. It wasn't jet fuel that brought it down because jet fuel can't uh, burn as hot as it needs to in order to melt the steel all the way down. And even if it melted the steel, it wouldn't be controlled demolition. So it had to be rigged. So it's a controlled demolition. Therefore, it's an inside job. And the NWO, the so-called NWO, which Bush and Cheney and Rumsfeld and all these guys, and the Zionists, of course, they include that also. Alex Jones does. And the Catholics and the Jesuits and all this. All the people that are in the the so-called Committee of 300 that are at the top, the elites or whatever. These are the NWO at the time. So the NWO did it. And the NWO did this inside job, so-called Bush, Cheney, Rumsfeld. 
and all of these guys. Okay. And then uh, loose change came along and they're basically parroting the same things that Alex Jones and Rivera and all these guys are saying. And they took it on CNN, at least CNN kind of featured them, which there's a screen pack capture of it online today. You can see it up. You can probably see the original video on YouTube too, where they, that they actually featured them as conspiracy, so-called conspiracy Kings or something that they were the, they had the most popular movie online and they featured them on CNN so that why I have no idea why because probably they were part they wanted to promote this angle so that in order for the if the conspiracy if there was like a million people following Alex Jones they would go towards this angle so I had no idea about anything about media fakery or any of this stuff back then and never heard of anybody supposedly when when I researched it later supposedly there were a few so-called no planers around like Gerald Holmgren Holmgren who was a Jewish Australian blues rock musician who right away came out with no planes but not no no victims and all that stuff that came out later and then there was Nico Hopt who was a German a crazy German guy you could barely understand who would go? Who was the original no planer? Like suppose, supposedly from day one, he was. Uh, it was later found out, of course. When once I went on Clues forum and all that, I found out that from day one, Nico Haupt was a no planer, and he was from day one. He was posting online that there were no plans, and it's ridiculous to say that there were plans on all this. But of course, he never got to the victims and all the rest of the media fakery that was going on which we later found out about at the time we had no idea about. At least I had no idea about. So well, it then- might be worth, just, um, just breaking that up, it might be worth, I found that CNN clip of them covering the, uh, the Loose Change Boys. It might be worth, it's only four minutes, just taking a listen to that, just to uh, freshen our memories about how this Loose Change documentary, which seems to come out of nowhere, maybe it did not come out of nowhere. Let's take a listen to this. 9-11 yesterday, this rally took place near the site of once was uh, the World Trade Center. A group of conspiracy theorists gathered to demand an investigation of who was really behind the terror attacks. It's all because of an internet film called Loose Change that is a challenging the official version of 9-11. Deborah Fayrek set out to find out more about the people behind it. The conspiracy theories began even before the smoke had cleared. First impressions pulled apart and analyzed. It appeared to be a U.S. military helicopter. On the scene, reports presented as evidence of a possible government cover-up. No reason to believe that this jet was there for any nefarious purposes, but the Secret Service was very concerned. Every reason, every answer. The man in the video looks and acts nothing like bin Laden. Scrutinized and challenged. Are we supposed to believe that it disappeared into this hole without leaving any wreckage on the outside? These are some of the events called into question by a film made for 2000 bucks by three friends using a laptop computer. It's called Loose Change. When it hit the web last year, it spread like wildfire, downloaded some 10 million times, translated into 13 languages. The 80-minute documentary presents its own evidence and asks viewers to look closely and ask questions. Like, could the Trade Center have been brought down by bombs? Could the Pentagon have been hit by a missile? And what happened to plane debris in Shanksville? 
to accept the official story of 9-11, you really had to accept hundreds of different coincidences all at once. Dylan Avery is the film's writer, director, and narrator. Jason Burmis did the research, and Corey Rowe is the executive producer, a war vet who fought al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. I met my enemy and the people that supposedly uh, pulled off this, this attack. These people are not strong enough, and they're not, they're not uh, advanced enough to, to pull off these synchronized attacks. They are not engineers or trained investigators, and only Jason has a college degree. In your mind, there is no question that it was actually a conspiracy. I wish it was absolutely. absolutely. I wish it was They're not alone. A Zogby poll of 1,200 Americans taken in May found that 42% feel the government and 9-11 Commission took part in some kind of cover-up. Former Senator Bob Kerry spent months investigating the attacks as part of the 9-11 Commission. He says the only conspiracy was the one by al-Qaeda. The substantial evidence U.S. government didn't do enough to uh, confront what was an obvious enemy. Uh, but the fact that they did too little, in some cases didn't do, didn't do anything, uh, is not evidence uh, that the United States government organized this conspiracy. The filmmakers don't buy it and say they've meticulously studied the events of September 11. The bottom line is that World Trade Center 1, 2, and 7 have to be controlled demolitions. We have isolated the blast points 20, 40, and 60 floors below the World Trade Center. We showed this clip to Glenn Corbett, a fire expert who helped investigate the physical collapse of the towers. There's no doubt that the fi subsequent fires that erupted could weaken that steel and bring the buildings down without any help from, from explosives. As for the filmmakers... You say this is a conspiracy. Isn't it possible that it was simply a colossal failure by Absolutely the U.S. government? Not. For them to have been completely caught off guard by September 11th, we would have to believe that our government is you know, the Three Stooges. But regardless of what you believe, the film certainly has people thinking. Deborah Feyerick, CNN, Oneonta, New York. Okay, so that was a four-minute clip from CNN speaking with the creators of Loose Change, apparently one year after they released it. So I'm inferring that that clip is from about 2006 or 2007, thereabouts. So the best part of a decade ago, and looking back at that now, it's so clear to me that they're basically promoting this film. They pretend to be attacking it or criticizing it, but they're more or less advertising the film, showing where you can find it online, uh, saying how popular it's been. It's spread on the internet like wildfire. And of course, Loose Change was talking about, ooh, did a missile hit the Pentagon? Was it bombs that brought down the World Trade Center? Uh, kind of red herrings, really, Neg. Would you agree? Yeah, at that time, it was the most popular film and they were they brought it on CNN and after a while it was millions of hits online right away right after because at that time CNN was a lot more popular than than now now it's on the way out because it's a joke now it's 24 hour the worst propaganda 24 hours a day all day and if you ever catch it like sometimes when I go over to my parents house and they're watching CNN and I, I just literally ridicule them for watching CNN and they agree with me <laughs> Nowadays they agree with me that it's total bullshit. Whereas they don't, they, they don't believe any of the other stuff that I tell them. But they, they've, they're, they're also sick of the whole CNN charade, you know, because it's just like 24. It's just too obvious now. Whereas at that time they had a little bit more reserve, a little bit more. They would uh, try to, they would at least try to put up a good front. Whereas now they don't even try. Now it's like 24 hours a day straight-up propaganda, and they're not even trying to hide it. 
You know, it is so interesting not how um, how much it's changed. Like if we try and think back, even ten or fifteen years, if you could go back fifteen years and say to people, "Look, the news will be twenty four seven, and you'll be constantly bombarded by it on your phone and on your computer, and uh, there'll be this website that everybody shares their photos, and even on that website, you're constantly being told about this terrorist event over here or this." new law that has to be passed over there i think it'd be very difficult for people back then to have believed it but that's where we are today and it's happened very quickly where now it is news at 5 p.m 6 p.m if you want to watch channel 10 there's one at 7 p.m there's the nightly uh, bulletin at 10 then you've got the 24-hour channels as well even on free to wear so we're in the space of uh, what one generation not even it's gone from the news was at a set time uh, either before or after dinner to uh just news 24 7 and it's all the same garbage they're pretty it's much the exact speaking, yeah. same point talking. It's the exact same talking points repeated every half hour on the half hour. Just the same talking points over yeah. and over and over. Yeah. So, it, so we were going through the chronology there. So, nine eleven. You didn't really believe it. This is when the internet was still fairly new. You're listening to Jeff Friends, people like Mark Rivero, Alex Jones. Loose change comes along in two thousand five, two thousand six. Around about that time, they start getting mainstream coverage. I would argue mainstream uh, promotion. That brings in a whole new bunch of people, especially younger people, to the so-called truth movement, or you can call it whatever you want. So then you start listening to, or you start hearing about Nico Haupt. He's talking about no planes, but not necessarily no deaths. But then eventually you come across the idea that maybe the 3,000 people was uh, a lie as well. No, I didn't get to that for a long, long time. I was gate, I was gate kept by these guys for a long time. So I want to talk about this whole gatekeeping operation. See, when they do these psyops, they have the gatekeeping operation going on right away. It's part of the psyop. The gatekeeping operation is part of the psyops. They bring it on so that the people that are pursuing the truth on these matters, when they see the lie through uh, of these things. They don't follow the real path of the truth, and they get sidetracked on all these other time-wasting avenues. So what was this, this whole loose change thing? Basically, the whole loose change, Alex Jones, Jeffrens, uh, and everybody else, David, like all of them were saying that the, the planes were real and not, nothing was faked and all that. And then there were other people parroting the same things, except the who done it was different. Like there were people like uh, Christopher Bolin and uh, Daryl Bradford Smith and all these other people that were the anti-Zionists, the so-called Jew-wise people who they were, instead of saying the NWO, they were saying the JWO because they had figured out through different researches that they did that a lot of the bankers were Jewish. So they, from that, they go to the JWO and from, if they figured out that a lot of the bankers that own the media are Jews, and they'd figured out that the people that were in charge of the major, the, the major points of the operation that had to be controlled for 911 to be done as the official alternative plane hugging version of Loose Change and Alex Jones and all these David Icke and Jeff Friends and all these people were presenting, in order for that. From that premise that it was, you know, real real planes were used, except it was remote controlled and all this other stuff and controlled demolition, those two things were different. You know, it was controlled demolition and remote controlled planes were used. So this was the loose change, Jeff Rens, 
and all these other people's uh, position at that time. And then they had Christopher Bolin and Daryl Bradford Smith. And what do you, there was another guy named Eric Hofschmidt, who was, they were, the three of them were part of a team and they were on a website called the French Connection. And a lot of the people that got disappointed with uh, Alex Jones and uh, all these other, the main conspiracy guys not connecting Israelis, the Israeli angle enough to 911. They started migrating to these other sites that were more into the Israeli angle, and Tarni exposed that. And the, the guy that was exposing the Israeli angle and was researching the Israeli angle was Christopher Bolin. And Christopher Bolin, at that time, around 2006, 2000, uh, 2006 2007, he was doing audios with Eric Hofschmidt and Daryl Bradford Smith. Daryl Bradford Smith had a site called The French Connection. I am the witness.com, the French connection. It was a, a site that all of us used to visit at that time. And all the people that were more into the Israeli angle, that all the Israelis are involved in this because of this, that, and that. So, and then Christopher Bolin was the guy that the main, did the main research for that. And then these guys started fighting each other. Christopher Bolin and Hofschmidt and all these guys started fighting each other. You know, where have you heard that before? You know? They start off as friends, they start fighting with each other, and then they split up. And they split up and they started blaming each other and calling each other shills and this and that. And there's a big audio at that time called Daryl Gate, where uh, Daryl Bradford Smith starts yelling at... Uh, he starts yelling at Hofschmidt. And Hofschmidt, eventually, we found out that Hofschmidt's sister or half-sister or something in Australia ended up being married to Rupert Murdoch's, one of Rupert Murdoch's sons. And she's still married to him. So Hofschmidt, and then Hofschmidt brought out this information on his website saying that, oh, I had no idea that my sister was married to Rupert Murdoch's son because I hadn't seen her for so many years. She was in Australia, I was in the U.S., blah, blah, blah. And then after that, he started going into all these ridiculous areas that and then and his site became a joke and nobody start nobody visited it anymore and and he had also done a 911 inside job movie Hofschmidt why don't you google his name and you find out about him Eric Is Hofschmidt if you've never heard of him Eric Hofschmidt no Hofschmidt it's H U F S C H M I D Hofschmidt and I don't think there's a T at the end and his first name is E R I C Eric Hofschmidt he was there from the beginning. I mean, he was he was one of the earliest 911 inside job documentaries. He made it. I'm not. I don't remember what the name of it was. I watched it at that time. It was it was pretty good, at that time. And then there was Sophia Smallstorm had a thing on it. 911. Um, yeah. So what I've done is I've looked up Eric Hofschmidt and also Daryl Bradford Smith. And again, I'm using Metapedia.org, which I want to get your thoughts on in a moment. But yeah, it does mention here that they worked together until they had a quote-unquote bust-up. And this is all before my time, obviously. So this is very interesting for me as someone who came into this scene, if you want to call it that, only a few years ago. I've seen some of the public spats and the falling outs between leading or popular figures a couple of times. I'm noticing a pattern. But obviously, the pattern goes back a lot longer because, as you've pointed out, this Daryl Bradford-Smith and this Eric Huffschmidt and uh, one or two other people, the exact same thing seems to have happened where they've had, uh, I guess, a bit of a following yeah. and they've worked Christopher as a team. Christopher Bolin. 
Christopher Bolin, the reporter Bolin. who's still going around. He wrote that big book that that's being promoted on all the WN sites, the white nationalist sites. It's being promoted, uh, and basically they still follow that guy's line. And also, of course, the whole no planers are disinfo to make us all look bad. The Alex Jones meme. They're still following that, even uh, ten years later, ten years after September Clues came out. They're still following that, and they can't be convinced. You could put any truth in front of their nose that you can. They're not going to be convinced. It's like that Yuri Bezmenov quote where America is stuck with demoralization. They can't even assess what is true and what is false. And it's true about all these alternative media researchers too, only on another level. Well, it says here with Daryl Bradford-Smith, and again, this is on Metapedia, it says that he spends a lot of time talking about pedophilia within the establishment and this seems to be another common topic among some of these more prominent so-called alternative figures where they seem to have this penchant or this desire to talk about pedophilia within the establishment it's an interesting pattern we might get back to that but i guess the history here of this scene is is useful to us so all of these people had a falling out we've seen that pattern repeat itself time and time again in the alternative scene you were watching all this unfold, I guess, and this is back when the internet was still a lot more new than it is today. Eventually, somehow, though, you got onto the notion that there were not 3,000 deaths on 9-11. Because time is of the essence, we might as well try and fast forward to that. So what was it that got you starting to look into this line of inquiry? Uh, there was some guy, I was on a site Information Underground, which is run by some guy named Ognir. O-G-N-I-R, and he was a guy that used to do interviews with Daryl Bradford Smith, the French Connection, which is not online anymore because in France they passed some laws and he can be arrested now, So supposedly, so he took his side, he, he took his side completely off, offline, Daryl Bradford Smith did. And so the, he was the guy with Christopher Bolin and he had the fight with Christopher Bolin and Huff Schmidt and all that, and Daryl Bradford Smith was, and his new partner was this Ogner guy, this Noel guy. And this guy was from Ireland, and I know people who have met this guy, Delcroix from uh, the a View from the Bug and Mammies, those sites. He has met this guy in person, and he is an Irish guy who lives in Switzerland. And he was doing a lot of interviews with Daryl Bradford Smith at that time. And then a couple of years later, around 2010 or 2011 or so, when I was posting at this Information Underground guy's site, Ogner's site, he had a fight with Daryl Bradford Smith. Daryl Bradford Smith attacked him at his house in Switzerland. <laughs> and then it, the, that uh, threat is still there at the Information Underground site. And uh, they split up. So they also split up and then they went their uh, separate ways. And um, when I was on Information Underground, that was when I first started posting political posts, you know, or or conspiracy, so-called conspiracy in, uh, posts. And then what is, what's his name? Some, there were guys there that were trying to convince the rest of us that it was media fakery, the planes were faked, at, le- at least the planes were faked and all this, and it was done with media fakery and not the way that Christopher Bolin and Alex Jones and Loose Change and all these people were saying. And so... After about 10 tries, they got me to watch September Clues. And from watching September Clues, I started going in that direction. And when I got banned from that site and I went to Conspiracy Central, I opened a thread called uh, 
100% conclusive proof that there were no planes on 911. And I put one of Simon Shack's five-minute videos, which is called 911 Amateur Part 2, I believe, which was recommended to me out of all people by a musician who used to play with Frank Zappa and Duran Duran and Mystic Persons. His name is Warren Cucarolo. And at that time, he was going on Alex Jones' show, and, and Alex Jones found out he was a no-planer now. He no longer had him on a show. <laughs> He's no longer doing the conspiracy thing, but at that time, he was there. And you can you can Google the shows that he did with Alex Jones, and um, he has one in 2007 that he did with Morgan Reynolds. Oh, let me tell you another thing. At that time, I was aware of no-planers, of course, because Jim Fetzer was the no-planer that was supposedly uh, thrown off GCN by Alex Jones for becoming a no-planer. See, Jim Fetzer at that time had a show called The Dynamic Duo, and his partner was Kevin Barrett. Okay, Kevin Barrett, this guy who's still a plane hugger, who's still the official uh, doing the whole loose change thing. Jim Fetzer at that time became a no-planer. And then Jim, Jim Fetzer had a show called Dynamic Duo with this guy, and then he switched that show to another website because Alex Jones supposedly threw him off GCN. And then it was a show that was, they would do it like six days a week or whatever they would do it, and it was three days a week Jim Fetzer would do it, and three days a week Kevin Barrett would do it. It would be a completely different show. And I would listen to both, but I started getting more and more into the Jim Fetzer thing because he was... He was he was now a no planer, so he was doing the whole no planer thing, but only no planes, no other media fakery. So I started listening to him, and through him, I got exposed to who do you think? Uh, let's see. Oh, um, don't don't tell me this is the one. Um, let me give no, you. No, no, a clue. No, 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 no. I, I, should, I bet you I can guess a, this. A, yeah, he was okay. a crazy dude. Uh, hold on, don't don't tell me. Oh, I should know this one. Uh, the one with the hair who pretended to commit suicide on on the air. Is that the one we're talking about? That came later. That oh, came okay. a little bit later. But let me give you a clue. Uh, female. Um, the one who did Sandy Hook and then came out and said Sandy Hook was real. I will get this one. Hold on. Uh, no, no, no. no. Let, me, let me give you another clue. Space Beams. Oh, Judy Wood. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> so, uh, thing. Um, Fetzer was the one. From Fetzer, I started hearing about Judy Wood and uh, the whole uh, uh, beam weapons... He, she called it uh, dew, direct energy weapons that, and you know the whole toasted cars thing and all this other nonsense that at that time had me convinced, you know, because of Jim Fetzer had me convinced. And then of course she had a fight with Jim Fetzer, and then it, some guy uh, when September Clues came out um, in 2007, I knew about September Clues, but I didn't watch it because. At that time, I felt that I didn't need to watch it. I was like some of the people now that have said, oh, who cares how it was done? It's only the who that matters. We know that the Zionist Jews did it and all this stuff, that Christopher Bolin has it down. Christopher Bolin researched the stuff. I mean, this guy is this, this guy is that. Chertoff, Michael Chertoff over here and that. And then there was another pamphlet going around at that time, which was Israel did 911, all the proof in the world. And this was done by a guy from our site information underground that is a pamphlet based on Bolin's research which basically summarized all his points on a couple of pages 
And this guy, at that time, he was his name was Monkey See Monkey Do. He later became Zion Crime Factory, and from Zion Crime Factory, he became brand, uh, he went back to his real name, which is Brandon Martinez, and he's still around, and he does shows on Red Eyes. And I, I posted this guy's site to this day, and uh, he was at that at that site at the time, Information Underground, and he was posting there at that time, and. Uh, when I got banned, he was one of the guys that that was in on that thread that I got banned. So at that time, uh, Jim Fetzer, so two, uh, it was around from 2007, and Morgan Reynolds, one of the so both Jim Fetzer and Morgan Reynolds were also on Fox talking about no planes on 911. And if you Google that, you can find the the Fox News appearances. But they were on there for only a very short period of time. They gave him maybe like five minutes of airtime, ten minutes of airtime. And if you remember correctly, Kevin Barrett also got famous because he went on O'Reilly, the O'Reilly Factor show. You know that show? Yep. And then he he basically handed him his, O'Reilly his ass on 911 because at that time O'Reilly was criticizing him for being a Muslim professor at a Wisconsin university who was saying that 911 was an inside job. So they had him on TV trying to blame him for he has no place in an academic world bringing up this conspiracy stuff. They were, O'Reilly was yelling at him for that, and he basically dressed him down on the air on Fox, and they aired that. You know? Well, why don't we um, – I'll play that clip right now. This is another one that's only four minutes long, so I'll just play this one. I'll uh, edit this in, and then we'll go from there. Back in the book segment tonight, there's a fringe element out there that believes the U.S. government orchestrated 9-11. That is, President Bush and the American military killed 3,000 people. One of those pushing this theory is Kevin Barrett, who actually taught at the University of Wisconsin this fall. He joins us now from Madison. You know, there's no sense in debating this issue. I had one of your compadres on a couple of uh, months ago. I don't believe a word you say. You're not going to change your position. Uh, my best argument is there's so much anti-American press out there. If you had a shred of legitimate evidence, it'd be on the front page of Le Monde or some other place that wants the USA to be embarrassed. So we don't see these reports anywhere. I don't believe you have anything. But you go on and you continue to say the Bush administration, American military, killed 3,000 people. How has that impacted your life? What has happened to you since you started doing this? Well, you know, uh, Bill, it's actually been one of the best things that ever happened to me. And in fact, we're not a fringe element. The latest polls show that 84% of the American people do not accept the 9-11 Commission report. Only 16% of the American people believe the government is uh, telling the truth what about 9-11. What poll is that? That's a, new, that's a New York Times poll that came out just uh, right. several months ago. I don't have that poll in so front of me. So actually, you're in the fringe I, element, Bill. Yeah, I don't believe that that's true, but go ahead. What has happened? Well, why don't you what look it up? You can Google it up we'll, in five seconds. Absolutely, we'll check it out. Um, what has happened to you since you've been putting this outlandish stuff out there? Well, it's not outlandish. Uh, in fact, uh, as I said, it's now practically a majority position in the U.S. and certainly around the world. Uh, and I found that the people who are working in the 9-11 Truth Movement are some of the best, most honest, intelligent, caring, compassionate, and idealistic people that I've ever met in my life. Then why, so, uh, why, won't, really any major, uh, why won't any responsible news organization print this stuff? 
Well, they do. They only print it once, though. For instance, uh, okay, all the newspapers well, it seems to be a big story at the president of the United the States. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold it. Hold it. Hold uh, it. BBC, BBC News pr uh, printed stories about these hijackers turning up alive after 9-11. Uh, other respected news outlets printed stories about <laughs> how bin Laden met with the CIA when he was in Dubai in July 2001. Okay. Lamone stands behind that. If Figaro this story, stands behind if, that. This, the if, had, stands behind if there that. was any evidence of this story, it would be all over the place. It would be the story of the century. It's no point. Well, Unfortunately, they print it once and then they just forget well, about it. Why? But the Guardian, why would you forget uh, about President Bush killing 3,000 Americans? Why would anybody forget about that? Why? Well, maybe because he's killed 600,000 Iraqis and thousands more Americans. We all know he's a mass murderer, Bill. So why yeah. are we arguing about 3,000 people when he's already killed more than half a mil all right. million now, people? You're not, you're not teaching, Lancet, you're not teaching anymore. According to John Hopkins University, 600,000 Americans have been killed in Iraq. So what do we, you know, 3,000 more, you know, that's really Six, not a whole 600,000 Americans have been killed in Iraq? That's right. That's what according, you just according, yeah, according to 600,000 Americans have been no, killed 600, in Iraq. No, 600,000 Iraqis. That's not I what you said. I said 600,000 Iraqis and several Are you teaching anymore at the University of Wisconsin? Uh, no, I'm not teaching right now. Why? I finished my semester. We had a great semester. Why aren't you uh, teaching students, anymore? Uh, because my semester ended. I'm on a semester by semester contract. I do intend to be back in the fall. I don't I think, think they're going to take my you class back. Was they such told, a success. They told us that, that you're not going to take you back. They're very likely to be willing to take me back. They told you. They told us they're not taking you back. Well, this you know why they're not taking you back? Have... Because you're irresponsible. You can't back up what you say. You're a propagandist. You and know, Bill, you've, you've been calling. You've been saying I'm crazy uh, every time you've had this subject on, on your show. But Correct. you know something? Uh, maybe I am crazy to go on the show with you. Maybe. Uh, but you know, I get email from a lot of people. Most of it's supportive, but some of those people say I'm crazy. And whenever I get one of those emails, I write back and I say, you know, anybody who would email a crazy person to tell them they're crazy is crazy. And any show host who would invite a crazy person on their show to tell them they're crazy is even crazier. So no. I guess that makes two of us, Bill. The reason that you're on the program, and this will be the last time you're on, is so that people can get, well, thanks, a, get, a, look, get, a, get a look at you all right, and can see what is in the classroom at the University of Wisconsin, and that's the only reason you're here, Mr. Barrett, but I appreciate you showing up. Well, you know, Bill, I, I, heard, I heard you were, bye bye. You were bye bye. dissing my students. We'll tell, okay, talk to you soon. We'll wrap things up with the most ridiculous item of the day, which that probably was. So that was Kevin Barrett on O'Reilly Factor in 2006, apparently, and of course, I'll provide all the links to these videos in the show notes, and uh, it was an interesting one, wasn't it, where basically Barrett has come on to the show and O'Reilly has said right from the get-go, uh, you're crazy, there's no point arguing about this because we all know what happened, and there's lots of people out there who don't like America, so if this were an American government conspiracy, why hasn't anyone from another country, like the French, come out and exposed it? So two things there. Firstly, he's reinforcing the notion that the different countries are at war with one another or that the people who run the countries are separate, as though there's not one overarching group who control the whole lot. And then he's also saying there were 3,000 dead. So if it was the Americans, how come we don't know? Interestingly, though, there, Nick, Barrett buys into the 3,000 notion and he argues the point. He doesn't talk about, well, maybe there was no 3,000. He's still going along with this notion that there were 3,000. So in effect, uh, this Barrett guy is still pushing the, the broader narrative that 3,000 died on 9-11. And the planes. And the planes as, as Except well. Except he might say it's remote control or something, just like the loose change guys and Alex Jones and all that. But the thing is, the whole three thousand—that nobody even questioned the the dead people until the Vixen report came out, and that was in 2009. Not even Simon Shack and those guys were questioning it until about 2008. 
that's when they started their research and that that's when they started suspecting that also and they were going step by step you know they they went from the the planes to the skylines to the buildings to the to the rubbles to the rubble of the building and then from there to the the people the dead people the victims and when they researched the victims they brought out the victim report in 2009 so it's been out like around 7 8 years now and from there that's where the whole things uh, the whole meme started about oh they're saying everything is fake and blah 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 you know but that meme is also active today because a lot of people it, it, it didn't end with 911 and the and the 3000 dead the victims what happened was all this other stuff came out all this other fakery stuff started coming in like a, from a couple of years ago and so because of the whole the, the whole flat earth thing and all whole the, all that stuff that you were involved in they uh well you were skeptical of it you know and you criticized it anybody you went into it and all the stuff that came out at that time kind of like reinforced that notion that these people are saying everything is fake you know and it, it keeps people away from the real research the real research at clues forum which is pretty much the only media fakery research that I promote. I don't promote all the other stuff. I don't promote, I sure as hell don't promote Ace Baker because I think he's a shill. Um, Nico Hopped or all any of this stuff. I don't promote any of these other media fakery guys. Basically, just clues for him. I don't even promote fakeologist, you know, because he doesn't uh, acknowledge certain things that are very clear uh, facts to me that are very conclusive and they don't acknowledge it you know we'll, so we'll come to fakeologist because that's an interesting one for me going back to ace baker he was the one who committed suicide supposedly committed suicide live on the air right he was the one who was was he talking to jim fetzer he was talking yeah. to, to somebody on a broadcast that i'm pretty sure was live and he was saying how um he's he's, he's sick of it all and he's he started saying stuff about like mum and dad and I haven't seen that clip for a couple of years. You know what? I reckon it's worth playing that one as well. I'm pretty sure that's a short one. So it's really gross. There and Killtown and, and Fred. They're Ace, I, I, care, so, I care so much. I care so much about your work. About me and I can't take it anymore. Ace, I, just, I, can't, I care so I much about your work. Just I, stop regular. doing 9-11. Ace, 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 look, 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 look. My People daughters. who are very, listen to me a second. People who are very original in, in the field are often not appreciated at the time. I have so much uh, confidence in your work that it's a prominent part of the new book I'm editing on the 9-11 controversies. I feature you regularly on this program. I feature you. I need to my daughters, you know, girls, I, I, I love you. And I know that 9-11 has taken a lot of me away from you, and I'm sorry for that. And I hope that someday that you'll forgive me for that. And um, to my wife, Claire, I just want to say that I love you, and I'm sorry. I'm really sorry for everything. And to my parents, um, Mom, Dad, I miss you, and I want to come home. Ace, I want to come home. We need you, Ace. We need you. I need you. The world needs you. 
These, okay. are, temporary, these are temporary problems. Oh. Of, innovators in their fields are frequently unappreciated. My God, Al Galileo was prosecuted by, subjected to an inquisition, prosecuted by the church. Galileo, for God's sake. I'm coming home. Okay, so that was uh, Ace Baker's fake on-air suicide on the Jim Fetzer show from 2009, according to this video. And, of course, for those who aren't aware of the story, he did not commit suicide. That was completely fake. Everything you just listened to was... The is Ace, Ace, Galileo, Ace, Galileo. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, so it's, it's funny now looking back, but I guess to someone at the time listening especially somebody who believed in Fetzer or believed in Ace Baker or maybe just didn't have good um, discernment skills or not much uh, natural skepticism, it would have been very easy to believe that they were listening to a man commit suicide live on the air, which would have been very traumatic, I would imagine. Uh, yeah, I was listening to these audios from 2007 on, not really from 2007 on. After around 2009 or 2010, I found out I found a site there was a guy who was associated with Judy Wood. I forget what his name was. And he was kind of like associated with Simon Sheck at that time. And then and then he was he didn't go along with the Clues Forum position. So they kind of ex excommunicated him from there. He was, I forget what his name is. It was an English guy who was associated with Judy Wood. Let me see if I can bring him up on YouTube. He was the guy that was interviewing... Judy Wood, and he was the English guy. So what, what, do you remember what year roughly you first became aware of this Judy Wood direct energy weapons stuff? Uh, 2007 with, what do you call it, um, with from, from Jim Fetzer. And then Ace Baker came out around 2007 or 8, and Jim Fetzer had a 911 conference in Wisconsin, I believe, where Kevin Barrett is. He was a professor over there at the university where they were supposedly... I think he got uh, thrown out of the university for his 911 views or something like that. I'm not 100% sure, but that was the whole O'Reilly controversy. And then, um, of course, he got famous for a while, for a short while there, for being on O'Reilly. A lot of he got access to a lot of people that checked out his site. So the Wisconsin conference was, I think, in 2008. And um, I'm pretty sure Simon Schacht uh, wrote on Coos Forum that Jim Fetzer also invited him and even offered to pay for his plane ticket, but he didn't go because he he doesn't trust Fetzer. And even at that time, he didn't trust him, so he didn't go. And it was a good decision because all those guys turned out to be shills. Ace Baker turned out to be a shill. Morgan Reynolds turned out to be a shill. All of these people turned out to be a limited hangout who won't acknowledge any of the non-plane fakery on 911. They'll only go as far as the no planes only and they won't go beyond it so what does that tell you what does that tell you you know yeah. that tells yeah. you that they're yeah limited yeah, hangout yeah. and i think look i wasn't expecting the conversation to go like this but it's worked out really well from a chronology perspective because you were there in this particular part of the truth movement if you like just to use that term broadly this particular scene you were there more or less from the start and even just some of the things that you've told me i wasn't aware of like some of these falling outs that some of these prominent members have had I've only been here for the last few years, so I've seen, I guess, um, the more modern aspects of this or the more recent, if you like, but it looks like some of these patterns 
repeat themselves time and again. And it makes for an interesting chronology. So tell me if I've got this roughly around the right way. You were there in 2001, uh, skeptical event from the start. At the time, these conspiracy theories on the internet popped up straight away. And there was a website about what really happened, which led to you listening to people like Jeff Rents and then people like Michael Rivero and Alex Jones, Alex all Jones. Change, all these guys. Yeah. Then you had people like Huff Schmidt and Bradford Smith who were on like a team together, or Christopher Boland as well, but then there were some falling outs between these people. Loose Jim change Fetzer, comes up. There was falling outs between Ace Baker, Jim Fetzer, and Judy Wood and all those people. Yeah, the same change comes along themselves. In, yeah. At yeah, the time, you think, oh, what the, what the hell is going on? Are they really fighting? And then the same patterns keep repeating, repeating, repeating year after year after year until today. Yep, and then loose change comes along on. in 2005. It gets CNN promotion, as we've shown with that clip. That seems to bring a whole new bunch of people in, especially younger people. Like I was in university when I first saw Lose Change a couple of years after it came out and it was being passed around by a student that I knew. So this would have been happening all over the world where especially younger people were getting involved in this 9-11 truth movement, which was being promoted by CNN, whether overtly or covertly, they're, they're promoting the whole thing. So that's getting widespread coverage. But of course, they're still going along with the idea that 3,000 people died and all the rest of it. Basically, they're just all going herrings. on with it. Yep. They're all going on with it, except for Clues Forum in 2009. Not until 2009, that notion wasn't even in that, that whole notion of faking the victims wasn't even being discussed by anyone that I know of until about 2009. And then, even with, and then even with the planes, you've got people like Nico Haupt, have you pronounced that, talking about no planes, but not about the victims from what you've said. September but, Clues comes along in 2007. Around about the same time, you've got Fetz uh, promoting Judy Wood. Now, Judy Wood uh, talks about no planes, I guess, to an extent, but her focus is on this idea that there were these space beams, these you know, Tesla-inspired space beams that brought down Direct energy weapons. Direct yeah. energy weapons, yeah. So that was around 2007. Hayes it was the most Baker. ridiculous thing. They get rid of the door handles on the cars, but they leave the rest of the... They get rid of the door handles on some the engines. They just... Uh, completely make them disintegrate but they keep the the, the the rest of the chassis of the car is just smoked out like it was burned out but that door handles are missing and this is missing and that's missing <laughs> and yep. he, she never authenticated any of the photographs that she was using for her research well she we can talk the- more about her in a moment i'm just trying to get this chronology down pat so she comes along and anyone interested in the idea of no planes well you've got judy wood saying oh well if you're interested in no planes have i got some direct energy weapons for you You've got Ace Baker comes along, and he also does a video series, a pretty well-produced, especially for the time, uh, video series. No, it took a long no time for it to come out, man. Let me, let, me, let me just interrupt you for a second. It took a long time for that to come out. And it what was year do you think I, that came out? A lot longer than, than I expected. I mean, after that whole suicide episode, his reputation was in the toilet. You know, nobody wanted to hear from him. You know, he faked his own suicide. Oh, man, what an idiot. Yeah, so nobody wanted to hear from him, so it took him a while. He was putting up together like this entire, like this musical. He put together because he's he's a musician also supposedly, and he uh, has a studio and all that. So he put together this entire like ten part series called Nine One One. What was it? Nine One One Rock Opera or something? Nine One One something like that. What was it? Ace Baker. I forget the name of it because I haven't, I haven't even. Went anywhere near Ace Baker for many years. 
uh, he put that out, and it took a long psy opera. You know, he, he, he called it psy opera, and when you type it into YouTube now, a condensed version of about three hours comes along. But if you watch the whole thing, it's about 10 hours or something, and it's in 10 different parts. And he, supposedly in the last part, he was going to expose Fetzer and all this stuff, but that never happened. He pulled that last part out. And basically, the, the he, he, and he plays his music, and he sings songs about 911 and all this th stuff, and he does a lot of fancy video production. It's like a very expensive production compared to September Clues, which is very shoestring, very, very much done on a home computer compared to this Ace Baker production because he had a full studio to work with as a musician. So the, the Psy Opera thing, the whole point of this was it's a ridiculous notion when you think about it. So Ace Baker is saying that they, 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 they faked the planes, but they did it in real time during the 10-second delay. <laughs> so he was saying that the planes were faked, but it was done during that 10-second delay that 21-second delay, 10-second delay or whatever, they did it at that time. They just inserted the composite fake planes on top of the buildings and the rest of the stuff that were really photographed on the day in real time and at, this, at the same time live and like in a Mission Impossible kind of style, they inserted these composite planes on top of it. And that's why you have the nose out. Because they screwed up the composites, you know. So that was his big discovery that the nose out was because of this, you know. Of course, my theory is that the nose out was done on purpose to give him the excuse for his entire documentary. And of course, what shows him to be a what do you call it a shill? Beyond the fact that he faked his own death, they're trying to make everybody look ridiculous by faking his own death, was that he refuses. He refuses to even consider anything anything beyond the plane fakery. And yep. So with Ace Baker, we've got a man who around the same time as September Clues comes out from Simon Shack, Ace Baker comes out with his American Cypher, or it comes out later, either way, and he's saying, yeah, no planes, but A, it was done in real time rather than in pre-production or whatever. B, he's a guy who pretended to commit suicide live on the air, which is about as shameless as it gets. And C doesn't go into the fact or, or into the notion, the idea that the 3000 is also make-believe. So lots of red flags with him. Then if you fast forward a little while, you get to the Vic Sim report, which obviously was put out by Hoi Polloi and Simon Shack from Clues Forum. And this goes into the idea that, hey, if you look into all of these people who supposedly died on 9-11, many of these stories and many of these photos look ridiculously fake. And then if you start trying to investigate their birth or their death certificates or some of the more formal or official documentation or information that you'd expect to see to do with this. It's very difficult to find. If you can find it at all, maybe it's worth questioning the notion of 3,000 altogether. Then it leads into this broader idea of, well, if it is fake in terms of the planes, then why could it not be fake with the people? And if it could be fake with the people, wouldn't that be the easier way to go about doing it? And so on and so forth. But around about this time, uh, this is, what, 2009 or 2010, thereabouts. These ideas are still very much fringe, even within the so-called truth movement. Very Not... fringe. I had no idea about it. I didn't have any idea about the Vixen Report until after I, I had to get into September Clues and all that stuff first. And it took me a while, like two or three years, to get into the whole Vixen's angle. And 
even just the non-plane media fakery, that was hard to get around too because of all the gatekeeping from the previous 10 years. So after 2010, I started getting into that. I started a thread on uh, Conspiracy Central called 100% Conclusive Proof of No Planes on 911. You can probably find that on the old forum. If you find the old forum, you'll find that thread. It has over 50,000 views now, some seven years later. And that, if you, you can see kind of my own progression over there, because at the end of that, I start talking about victims. At the very end of that, I start suggesting victims. And then you can see at the very end of the thread, the administrator from the site, he closed that thread and he didn't allow any other no planer threads on the entire forum. <laughs> because I was bringing up this, oh, you're going to make us look like idiots, ridiculous notion of victims. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's interesting how often this happens where people will say, no, that particular perspective on this event, that one's not allowed because it will make us all look crazy. So we're going to get rid of it. We're going to ban it. We're going to ostracize people who want to bring it up, etc. This is another thing that we see time and time again. They sort of appeal to people's belief or desire that they're part of our movement. And they say, for the benefit of the movement, these are certain taboo topics or taboo ideas and they're not welcome here. We see this time and time again. And this can be driven by a gen- like a genuine... Uh, I concern. Guess, like a genuine concern. concern. Like pe- people can honestly fully believe they're part of a movement and really want to see it succeed, and they can uh, behave this way. Of course, that sentiment can be used nefariously. People can take advantage of that sentiment to try and keep certain things out of the conversation for their own benefits or for their own ends. So it can be difficult to discern what is the motivation for doing it. But either way, it's only possible because of people's belief and desire to believe in this idea that they are part of a movement. And even to this day, even to the, what are we, 2017 now, to this day, there are still people out there who feel as though they are part of the 9-11 truth movement. They're part of this group of people that eventually will spread the word and get a new investigation or will bring down the the establishment or will will achieve some kind of end oh. that makes it worth uh, all of the things that go along with in the meantime well they have achieved it with, with well after sandy hook what what happened was nobody was into the whole victims things except the few guys on clues forum and at that time i was into clues forum i was reading a lot of their uh, threads and things on 911 basically not on anything else and then after 911, I started finding out all the other psyops that were likely fake. But none of the, the whole victims thing didn't take off until after Sandy Hook. Because when Sandy Hook came out, the Sandy Hook psyop came out, and it was so obvious that they faked the deaths of those uh, kids and stuff at that school. And it, it was so obvious that it was completely faked, that one, that that psyop woke up a lot of people to the possibility of faking all the victims, you see. But that was only 28. So there's a lot of Sandy Hook researchers online, like Russian vids and all these other people, who I believe uh, think that uh, all the post-Sandy Hook psyops have victims, and faked victims, and they're completely fake. A lot of them are completely faked and media faked, pre-manufactured, movies that are later shown and then they're psyops you know they're not done for real in the real world in any way you know by intelligence agents or anything else they're done in a studio and then aired just like a movie and then told it was real 
just like you described in your 10-minute video that you just did. So, um, well, I think, after uh, Sandy Hook, the whole thing opened up. Yeah. yeah, just let me say, I think uh, calling Russian Vids a researcher is being very generous. Let's rewind just a moment there. You did mention fakeologists, so most of my audience would be aware, but it's worth just reiterating. There is a relationship between fakeologist and Clues Forum in the sense that the administrator of fakeologist, who calls himself Ab, he uh, sort of gives credit to Clues Forum and Simon Shack for opening his eyes to the media fakery of 9 11. And he's interviewed Simon Shack a few times since then. And there's a little bit of a crossover in their respective audience as well. So there's, there's an informal but uh, easy-to-see relationship and an open relationship between the, the two websites or sort of communities, if we can use that word loosely. Now, you're saying that you're happy to promote Clues Forum uh, in Simon no, no, Shack's no. work? I've promoted, I've, I've promoted Abirado in the past, fakeologist, but I have some disagreements with them on very crucial issues on the whodunit that I think that they're shilling. Where regardless, regardless of whether they're being useful idiots or useful egos, so my maximum of shillery is this, you know, direct agent or useful idiot slash useful ego, the result is the same, disinformation. And basically the goal of disinformation is to cause enough confusion in, in the movement so that nothing so that everything is believable and nothing is knowable okay and i got that from jim fetzer who got it from somebody else but that even though i do think that jim fetzer himself is a show the maximum of chivalry is valid you know that maximum of chivalry that he first put out there uh, which is people that are there to control the opposition and not pursue the research they're there to create enough confusion so that everything becomes believable and nothing knowable. That's their job. The job of disinformation is to create confusion. And once enough confusion is created, their job is done because people are already confused and arguing with each other or quitting the movement altogether and not pursuing it anymore. So yeah, and I, think there's, yeah. I think there's wisdom in this idea of the, somebody's motivations don't necessarily have anything to do with the outcome of their behavior. So whether someone is motivated by the good, they want to see the truth get out there and they want to see more people learn the truth and they think that that's going to help the world, but they engage in the same behavior as somebody who is nefarious, then all of a sudden their motivations don't really make a difference to me. They're both going to be doing things that might be getting in the way of me in, in, in sort of putting up hurdles in my quest to find out what really happened or to engage other people on the same path, if that makes sense. So I don't really spend much time worrying about, oh, what's his motivations? What's her motivations? Because I'm never going to know unless I meet them in person or I find a photo of them, you know, receiving a big paper bag from a, a guy in a black suit or whatever. I'm just never going to know what's motivating people. I just yeah. look at the outcomes of their behavior. So in the case of fakeologists, I personally have a huge overlap with them on a lot of their ideas about the way that things work and the way that things are faked and how easy it is to fool the masses if you can control the media and these kinds of things but i too just like you have the same concerns or the same objections to their views on things like immigration or just the the white population you know this idea that europe is a geographically very tiny area they do have a native population and that native population is currently being systematically uh, outbred you know, mass immigration is happening to Europe as we speak. 
There's nothing that the native people there can do about it. They're being brainwashed into thinking that it's good for them or that they deserve it. Or if they if they can see through the deceptions, then into thinking that there's nothing they can do about it anyway, so they better just get used to it. And what, what's have, happening have, there? Have more kids. Have more kids. What the hell is your problem? Just have more kids. And that's and that's something that Abbott Fakeologist says. He's like, well, if you've got a problem with it, just have more kids. Well, of course, people aren't having as many children now because there are structural reasons that lead to you know two couples needing to work now to afford a house in their own you know, in their own country now these things don't happen by accident these things are all happening together if, if you can see what i'm saying so if you can, different angles at the same time they exactly the exactly time. and and so if you and if you see you know this mass uh, wave of immigration coming to your country and you see other factors that make you think that the future might not be as good then whether it's a conscious or a subconscious thing you might be less likely to have children anyhow so this notion of trying to blame the victims and say, oh, so, so you, you native white people of Europe who are being bred out of existence rapidly and all these people are coming to your country that you never voted for, you never asked for. If you don't like it, then have more children. To me, that is so logically fallacious. I can't see how any intelligent person could entertain that uh, for longer than a few moments without realizing that it's silly. But Ab it's doesn't ridiculous. just entertain it. It's he, ridiculous. He promotes it. He, he promotes it constantly. And it does make me wonder, well, why is he doing that? It can't be out of logic. There must be some other motivation. So does he himself have a, like a mixed, um, uh, you know, they mixed people in his family or does he have any other motivations for doing this? I don't naturally assume that he is working for the bad guys or that he's a page or any of this stuff. I mean, it's possible, but I just don't jump to that conclusion. I just think there must be something else that is stopping his normally logical brain from engaging with this topic logically. If you can see what I mean, and I've had, yeah. uh, you know, we've discussed. I've discussed this with him live on the air. I kind of got ambushed, actually. This is going back maybe 12, 15 months now, really early in my path, I guess. And I was kind of ambushed on a on a live audio chat with them, and um, it wasn't a very pleasant experience. But I didn't walk away saying, "Oh well, you know, these guys are evil," and you know, I just thought, "Well, that, that's an area where we disagree," and uh, and I focus on, I guess, the areas of agreement instead. If you can see where I'm coming from with that. Yeah, what happened with fakeologists is. Simon Shack for a lot of years, nobody on Clues Forum was doing any audios. You know, they weren't really into marketing their site. They didn't want to market their site. They wouldn't do any audios with anybody. They never went on any of these shows, and they considered them all shills pretty much from the beginning, including Fetzer. They never even went on Fetzer's show where when because all the no planners that they didn't like went on those shows. So what happened after that is. I was looking for Simon Shack audios around 2010, 2011 when I was doing that other thread, that my first no planer thread on Conspiracy Central. I was looking for Simon Shack audios and I couldn't find anything. It was really hard to find. And then finally, I think it was in 2012 or something, 2011 or 12 or something, that I, when I found out, found the first Simon Shack audio, which is the first one that I listened to, which was done with a guy by the name of Brian Stavely, who has a website called Real News Online, and it was done on April 8, 2012, and and with Justin Cook. Justin Cook is his partner, and they, they interviewed Simon Shack. So that was the very first time I ever heard Simon Shack on, on any audio. And from there, I found out that he had been on Hoaxbusters, another show that I'd never heard of, Hoaxbusters, which is still active. And I was on that show a couple of times. And on Hoaxbusters, they also interviewed him, but I didn't know it. 
and it was it's really hard to find that show. They they don't have very much promotion at that time. It was really hard to find. It was only on talk show, and you had to know that it was on talk show to find it. And once I uh, researched a little bit, I found out that he'd also done a couple of audios with Hoaxbusters around this a, a little bit earlier than that, one sixteen of two thousand twelve, where and. And those are really long. They're about five hours each. He did two of them, 116, 2012, and 131, 2012, part two. I have them both on my uh, David Icke forum thread. They're all posted on my thread. If you put the link there, they'll be able to access all of this at the same time. And um, so I listened to those, and they were five-hour audios, and there was a guy named, uh, what was that guy's name, from, from Truth in Seven Minutes, I'm Mark Allen. Yeah, Marcus Allen. And he was getting on Shaq's case on that audio, which is kind of interesting. And he is still he was still around. I think his, his website is still around. I'm pretty sure he was all over the uh, Kendall chat room uh, under different uh, guises when I was in there and all that stuff. He's still around. Well, this is but an interesting that, little diversion. Since you, since you brought that up, I might just say that um, for anyone who's interested, it goes further than that because... Marcus Allen, what had happened was he called into a show that uh, Simon Shack was on and basically just hit him with like seven, eight, nine, ten questions. Personal questions basically about, you know, Simon Shack's brother is apparently a um, like a racing car driver and one of the sponsors of a car that he drove for was uh, Bin Laden and supposedly this Bin Laden was related to Osama Bin Laden and there were these other connections that Marcus Allen had somehow made. I think he also goes by a different name. Is it Marcus Goldberg or something? I'm not sure, but Marcus Allen. So he, he kind of put Shaq on the spot with all of these questions, and um, and that was sort of one of the ways that I first heard of this Marcus Allen character. But there's more to the story than that because he also caused some issues apparently with Abbott Fakeologist, whereby he had um, apparently somehow tracked down... I think he put his picture out or something. Yeah, apparently he'd found the personal details of Ab at Fakeologist. And uh, naturally, you know, Ab, anyone who wants to remain anonymous on the internet, their best bet is to just to, to avoid the internet, right? And to not broadcast in any way. And uh, so Ab, he does broadcast, but he takes a few steps. So he doesn't show his face, as far as I'm aware. And he uses uh, a pseudonym as well. So he does put a couple of steps in there to make it difficult to find out who he is. I do similar things. I show my face, but I try and make it so it's not too easy to find my personal details. And many people do that for their own reasons. And so to have someone find those details is one thing. But then to go around intentionally spreading those details to everyone else, that can uh, be a, a discomforting thing, I suppose. And that's what apparently Marcus Allen had done to... Abbott Fakeologist, or at least that's what I could glean from the audio chat that they did on Fakeologist following the event. And so he's uh, he's an interesting character in this little scene, uh, Marcus Allen. And what I'll do is I'll post a link in the show notes of this episode to that audio chat on Fakeologist, so people can sort of hear for themselves the the fallout of uh, of that little event. And it all it all ties into a broader narrative here, I guess, if you like, Neg, where. If you look at this, the history of this so-called truth movement, and again, I'm using that term very broadly, we see a number of patterns emerging, whether it's uh, people teaming together and building an audience and then having a falling out and kind of fracturing their audience, which leads to many people just leaving the scene altogether and never coming back. You know, they can't handle the emotional, uh, I guess, stress that comes with listening to people they like have falling outs. 
or whether it's people releasing information and then no, going no further, even though there's obvious logical corollaries, they just won't go further. It's like, well, if you know about the fake planes, how come it's not possible that they fake? You don't know the, about the other stuff, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, how can that possible? How can that be possible? And and sort of other people coming along and stirring up these little communities or trying to dox people, or whatever. We see certain patterns emerging time and time again, going right back to 9/11. And for many people, 9/11 is like the it's like the archetypal conspiracy or the the archetypal example of a media fakery event. It's this thing that shows us it kind of shows us in one event so many things about the way that these mass deceptions take place. Yeah, exactly. So after what happened is from these audios then I started looking for more Simon Shack audios and the way I found a fakeologist was he started doing audios with Simon Shack. And for some reason Simon Shack decided to do audios with him. And that's when I started listening to the Fakeologist site. At the time, it was called Abirado Radio. <laughs> and then he changed the name to Fakeologist. And, and basically, the only reason I started even listening to that guy was because Shaq was going on as doing audios with them. And there was another guy, Australian guy, by the name of One Born Free. And he was, I don't know if you know about him, and he was doing some audios with them. Basically, there's a, lo- there's a lot of different characters on there, some people I didn't like. And other people, but basically, I only went there for Shaq. You know, I was listening to Shaq. So from Shaq, then I got into the rest of the fakeologist audios, which then uh, I guess after a while uh, they even had a falling out with each other. And then uh, Shaq never goes on uh, fakeologist anymore, and they do their own audios now. I guess they, finally they decided after ten years they decided to do their own audios, which is called Clues Chronicle, and it's done with by. Uh, um, Hoi Poloi, yeah, mostly yeah, Hoi Mac, and Kham. Yeah, Hoi and Kham do it, and it's so far it's only had about thirteen episodes, and it's um, to tell you the truth, it's a little bit too too little, too late. You know, they should have done it a long time ago, and they should have had fifty to a hundred audios out by now explaining all aspects of it, and they should have had all different members of Clues Forum on there. I mean, why only have Oi Poloi and Kham on there. Why not have a lot of different members? And Shaq's only been on the first episode. So, you know, basically, I mean, those shows, I don't even listen to those shows anymore because it's, I already know all that stuff. So why am I even listening to it? That's to spread it to a new audience. And I don't even think it's being spread to a new audience because they don't, they don't post it anywhere except for fakeologists. So it's, it's posted on fakeologists. It's posted on his own site, the Clues Chronicle site that he made, a separate site. And sometimes I will post it. I will go ahead and post it. If I like the episode, I'll go ahead and post it on David Icke forums and a couple of other places. But that's about it. I don't see it anywhere else on the net. Yeah, and I guess the relevance of this is that within the the broader alternative scene, the notion of no planes and Vic Sims is still very much a fringe or a minority position. Very so strange. what you're suggesting is that they should have been promoting this stuff a lot uh, longer ago. And one of the reasons why it is so fringe is because they haven't been very active in producing content. I will say from my perspective, it's good to see that they're producing content. They've been doing these Clues Chronicles now for about a, a year or so, I think now. And like you said, they're up to episode 13 or whatever. But I did notice on their most recent episode that I listened to, which was dealing with the Holocaust, that they really didn't spend much time talking about it. And when they did, they seemed to be doing their research as they were recording the, the podcast. They didn't really seem to come uh, with many 
facts at hand, and I don't think I heard the name Eric Hunt used once. Now, for me, Eric Hunt, he is the preeminent documentary filmmaker in the alternative scene on any topic, but obviously his, his topic is the Holocaust or the Holohoax, as I refer to it, and he shows very clearly that people like Steven Spielberg have lied about World War II history, about the Holocaust. He shows it very clear. In fact, he goes... He goes to the point of using the so-called Holocaust survivors from the Steven Spielberg films. He shows you footage of those people from other recordings saying completely different things to what they say when they're on the Steven Spielberg film. You see? Now, how can, how can a Holocaust survivor have two contradictory accounts of what happened uh, 60 years ago recorded on the camera two different times? And how can Steven Spielberg's uh, The Last Days, how can that win Academy Awards when there are such blatant lies involved in the story. If there really were the Holocaust as we're told there was, then you shouldn't need to get actors or ridiculous exaggerators to tell their stories. You would go to the actual survivors and get them oh, to tell their exactly. story. Yeah. But as, as Eric Hunt demonstrates in his documentaries, if you go to the file footage from the Spielberg Shoah Foundation, you'll find survivors talking about having swimming pools in their uh, concentration camps and having soccer matches with the guards and getting orchestras, along orchestras yeah. and music and, and having a, a jolly old time. Now, you can see why Spielberg wouldn't put those people into his last days. That You can see why they wouldn't fit into the narrative. And anyone who sees this stuff, even if they completely believe the, the narrative that they were given at school and by Hollywood, just by seeing some of the work by someone like Eric Hunt, that should be all it takes for them to stop believing the official story and if they're so inclined, to go and look into the matter further. But I didn't hear, and I could be mistaken, so forgive me if I was, but I didn't hear them in like a four or five-hour podcast refer to Eric Hunt once or any of the presentations that he's made or any of the facts that he's provided. Not once. They seem to just be doing their their research on the fly, which for people who were, especially in the case of Foy, for people who were so well-versed in research and who pride themselves on being researchers, you know, they ban people from their forum because their, you know, their grammar, their syntax isn't, isn't in the right order. They'll ban them for that because they want to you know, establish themselves as such um, proper right researchers to do a four or five-hour podcast on the Holocaust, which is very easy to debunk and not have some basic facts ready to go. If I, weren't, um, if I didn't know better, Neg, I might start getting suspicious. Yeah, Last Days of the Big Lie, man. The best, one of the best documentaries on the Holohoax. And Eric, Eric Hunt, the guy that made it. There was, uh, I remember him coming on Information Underground and arguing over there about nine one one. And he, of course, he thinks that the, he believes the official story. So we couldn't believe that this guy that had exposed had uh, so much knowledge about the Holohoax still couldn't apply that knowledge about about hoaxing and all this other stuff, couldn't apply that knowledge even to see that it was an inside job, even to go as far as to see that it was an inside job. Yeah, that's even a very go, good point. Yeah, because He Eric, couldn't even go to a loose change position. He wouldn't even go to a loose change position. Yeah, and I, I find that incredible. Like Eric Hunt, his yeah. last days of the big lie was a hugely inspirational uh, piece for me. Like early on when I first started looking into alternative viewpoints and that kind of thing, his documentary was just amazing to me. And uh, to this day, I consider it an inspiration. And I've listened to about 20 different podcasts that Hunt has done with uh, many different people. I had, I had to track them down all myself because 
so far as I can tell, he hasn't actually provided a website that collates all of his interviews. So I had to track them down myself one by one. So I've listened to all of them, some of them more than once. I've watched his films. He's made like five now, I think. And um, so I, I've, his work on the on the Holohoax is tremendous. And yet he doesn't seem to go any further beyond that. And again, you get into this question of, well, how can someone who can see how easy it is to lie about one thing, how can it be that they limit their inquiries to one field they totally limit it they don't even go into the moon landings hoax which is even more obvious and none of that stuff they don't go into any of that stuff they have like one area where they research it to death and that's it i mean he's done amazing work in that area and he just specializes in that area and he doesn't spread his he doesn't apply what he learns from that area to other areas. I don't know why. Eric Hunt. He doesn't go into the other areas. And there's another guy that made a, a great Holoax film called One Third of the Holy Coast. And I don't know if you've seen that. No, I haven't seen it's that a, one. It's a, it's, a, it's a really long one. It's like five hours or something. And it's a really good one. It's really detailed. I mean, it goes into all the details and a lot of things. And that guy is, so, so I think, some guy named Denier Bud made that who's a friend of Hans and that guy also doesn't uh, go into 911 all the rest of the stuff and on moon landings he doesn't apply what he learned on that particular hoax to any other hoaxes you know? yeah and, and that, so I find that at... hard I find that very bizarre you know because I, I I don't consider these guys shills you know so I think they do good work so I don't understand you know, it's the whole useful idiot thing. You know, direct agent or useful idiot, useful ego, the result is the same. This information, then nobody has to be a direct agent to be a shill. If you're a useful idiot in one area, then you act in the capacity of a shill without even wanting to. Yeah, and I think even... a lot of people waste a lot of time sitting around speculating about, oh, this person's a shill, that person's a shill, and they'll argue about it and... You know, you listen to podcasts where that seems to be the whole point of the podcast, just talking about, well, this guy's a shield or that guy's a shield. And to me, it's just such a waste of time because when you start to go through some of these people and the work they've done, they can do tremendous work in one area, but they seem flawed in another area. It could be that they're all shills and they've all got a job just to focus on one area. There's another explanation, which is that we as humans, and particularly as humans who've been raised and brought up in this lie system where we're all programmed to believe so much nonsense, that it's just a natural thing that we'll find certain topics that we like or that we're good at, but our brain or our minds just won't be able to move on to the next level for one reason or another, right? So if you go through this list, you've got, like I said, Eric Hunt. To me, he was an inspiration. He does great work on the Holohoax, but that seems to be as far as he goes. You've got people like uh, Aberrado, who I think his website has been tremendous for me, getting my head around media fakery and things like NASA and the rest of it, but he hasn't seemed to be able to get his head around this idea of what's happening to Europe and to all white countries at the moment. Then you've got Clues Forum, and they've done terrific work. But if you look at their thread on Gravity, which started in like 2013, until I came along in 2015, or was it 2014, they didn't have a single post about the Cavendish experiment, which to me is the weakest link in the chain of scientism story about gravity, right? This idea that one man 200 years ago could weigh the entire Earth with heavy balls in a shed without electricity to me, that is utterly ridiculous. But that's the official story of science as to how they got big G, how they got gravity, the theory of gravity, how it works mathematically, etc. It all goes back to this dude in his shed. Somehow, the Clues Forum people, with a thread that had been going for a year, maybe two years, nobody had stumbled upon the story of Cavendish, you see. So you've got, and this is despite the fact that Simon Shack had made 
September Clues, which has opened so many people's eyes to the idea that there were no planes on 9-11. And Hoy Puloi did the Vixim Report, which is, like you explained, helped people to see that the fakery goes beyond the plane. So you've got all of these people who've done terrific work in one area or more, but they seem to be limited in other areas. Is that because they're all controlled or they're all shills? Well, anything's possible. But is it is it also possible that maybe there's just only so much that you can expect of any one individual or any one group? Yeah, they're just human beings and they make mistakes. You know, they're, Everybody has their useful idiocies. I'm sure me and you have it too. But... It's just the way that it, the only way you can judge people out out here in the so-called tort movement is to basically if if you can't I mean you can't just call everybody shills because it's just useful idiocy you know useful idiocy useful ego some people get their egos invested in it and they're they they, they don't want to uh, be shown as mistaken you know they want their theories to go forward and be the top theory or whatever they don't want to be known as they they don't want to admit that they were wrong and stuff like that so These you just got to go by who's the most yeah who's the most consistent who's the most consistent and go with those guys you know and, and what you can also do is look at the information that people present and try and not even focus on the person who's presenting it to begin with right now we're all humans and we've all, all only got finite time so we have to have a way of filtering the information that comes to us. So one natural way is to say, well, I've read this guy's work before. I know that he presents it logically. I'll read what he has to say. This other person, he pretended to commit suicide on the air. I just don't find him credible. That's a natural thing. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But once we establish there are people who are presenting information that we can digest, once we've established that, then simply focus on the information itself. Is it logical? Is it backed by evidence? Is it the most uh, parsimonious explanation for the evidence they're presenting? And if it is, go with it, rather than saying, well, I'm looking for the person who agrees with me the most. Aha, I found him. That's my guy, which I think is actually the way that a lot of people work. They're, they're looking to be led. It's just a matter of them finding their leader. And once they've found him or her, they're happy uh, until you know the straw that breaks the camel's back, which might take five or 10 years, and then they'll move on to their next leader. They're constantly looking to be led, whereas to me it makes more sense that any real researcher, they're looking for the research, they're taking the bits that they believe make sense, they're rejecting the bits that they think don't make sense because they've investigated it and it just doesn't sit well with them logically or evidence or whatever, and they come up with their own you know, broader narrative or, uh, or worldview or perspective or explanation or whatever the case may be. They synthesize everything they've taken in to come up with their own explanation. But I think the people... The proportion of people who do things my way, which is to synthesize their own ideas based on others, other people's work, we'd be in the tiny minority. The vast majority of people in this scene, I think, Neg, they are truly looking to be led whether or not they realize it. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, we've all been through that. You know, Some people have to be led for a while, and then they become leaders if they're smart enough to become leaders. If they get enough knowledge in a field, they get enough of a skill set, they get enough of an understanding, they become leaders. Um, I wasn't in any way a leader of any kind in this movement until until a few years ago. And then why do I call myself a little bit of a leader? Because, well, my thread has over close to 100,000 uh, views on DIF. So um, I guess I'm a little bit of a leader now because I'm on your show. And you're a little bit of a leader because you have 100 people following you. But then there's a million people following Alex Jones. So he's another leader, but he leads them in the wrong direction. 
So you can't compete with that. You can't compete with his million followers. And he can't compete, even if he was for real, he couldn't compete with the mass media. Because what is a million people? Having a million people in the entire world? That's nothing. That's not even, even if it was all the million people were in the U.S., that would just be one, one third of one percent of the population. So how much uh, good is that going to do in society? I don't know. Depends on how many people are eventually going to be influenced by at least a part of these ideas in their own lives. And to what degree are they going to change their own lives and change their own perspectives to uh, more rational ones, more comprehensive ones, more uh, informed ones, less trusting of the media, becoming less trusting of the media, rejecting the media altogether almost like we, we have you know, rejecting almost all of it because, well, most of it is owned by, about 93% of it can be proven to be owned by just five or six big, huge multinational media conglomerates. So why should we uh, take anything that they have to say at face value prior to authentica authentication, prior to investigation, prior to anything, prior to... Well, you gotta you gotta authenticate the evidence before you can even call it evidence. See that the entire truth movement is jumping the gun. They've they've made it. They've made them jump the gun. They never even pro followed proper criminal procedure. First, you gotta authenticate the evidence, and the evidence of these psyops coming from the media. The the main evidence is the imagery. You got to authenticate that imagery before you can accept it into evidence. You can't just say, "Oh, what they gave us is they the media tells us that they photographed this uh, live, so it is live." And then we're going to take this as the premise to build our entire structure of logic on it. That's well, that's ridiculous. That's not even that's that's jumping the gun from the from from the very first step. That's not even following the proper procedure of these things. Well, there's, you know? a, few things and, to, there's a few things to... And I was trapped there. in it. I was trapped in it back then, you know? And I only later found out that I wasn't following procedure because, well, they brainwash you with, uh, with the, through the media and they know how to manipulate your psychology. And if you're not well-versed on psychological manipulation, as, you know, and most people are not, and most people are not even smart enough to be able to... They've been dumbed down so much by the same media that they're not even smart enough to pick up all the different uh, books uh, and information on psychological aspects of human manipulation, like uh, you know, Instincts of the Herd and Peace of War by Wilfred Trotter or that Gustav Le Bon's The Crowd, which you took your name from, not Simon Le Bon of Duran Duran. <laughs> and, uh, so all of these guys, you know, they're so dumbed down that they can't even read these books and understand it for themselves. So they need somebody else to go read these books. Some other truthers that are a little smarter than them or a little less programmed. Then when they understand it, then they have to summarize it for the rest of these guys. And I think what, what we're doing is kind of like this, this, this kind of, this kind of work, you know, we're, we're kind of summarizing it for the rest of these guys and then after a while, we see some of these guys come into their own and 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 become kind of leaders, little small leaders in the movement, in the fringes of the movement themselves, kind of like us. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I guess like at the risk of getting into semantics, which is not what I'm trying to do here, when we talk about leaders, I mean, my podcasts, I get good stats from Podbean. My best podcasts have maybe 500, 500 plus listens, but of those, I would guess maybe half are listening to all or the majority of a, of a podcast. So maybe maybe two or 300 people have listened to my most popular podcasts on Podbean. Some of the less popular ones, they're down to uh, you know, 100, 150. You see what I mean? So this is a very small audience, and I'm fully cognizant of that fact. But even within that audience, I'm not necessarily trying to be people's leader. In fact, I'm trying to do the opposite. I'm trying to encourage people to think for themselves. But even when I say think for themselves, what does that mean? I mean, there's different ways that you can think. And yesterday when you and I were organizing this chat, we were talking about, well, what what is it to think logically? And is it worth trying to unpack this idea of you know, what is... Uh, what is critical thinking and these sorts of things? I guess I've been on a bit of a, a journey for two or three years now and I've been sharing some of the things that I've found with people who listen. I'm at the point now though, Nick, where I feel there's a few things that I've learnt about that I don't necessarily want to tell people. I don't necessarily want to go and explain to people, hey, look, certain things have been done to you that you can't undo that might stop you from being all you could be, if I can put it in those somewhat vague terms i'm not really sure i want to go around telling people this stuff anymore because i don't believe in a real truth movement i don't believe that there's really this movement that's going to change anything i don't believe that for a second i used to but not anymore and with that being the case now it's a matter of well if i can help people if if what i say is beneficial to people then that's terrific and i hope that it is i wouldn't put as much effort into this as i do if i didn't believe that it was potentially beneficial to people who listen but uh to to a large extent, I think most people sort of, if I look 360 degrees around me, around the suburb that I live in, it seems to me that the majority of them, even if they would listen to what I have to say, and even if they could follow the logical form of what I'm saying, even if they agreed with my conclusions, it wouldn't necessarily be good for them. So I They're not going to follow it, yeah. Well, even if, they, even if they were to understand what I'm saying, it wouldn't necessarily be a good thing for them. And by that I mean... Suppose it is the case that uh, the average person today has been intentionally dumbed down, not just by education and by media, but uh, even going back to the the birth process and what happens to people in hospitals and these sorts of things. If it is the case that whatever they could have been, if they were allowed to grow and develop in a better way, they can no longer be, that some of the key moments of their life have been shaped to make them what they are. If that is the case, for argument's sake, how are they necessarily better off for knowing that. And I think there are a lot of people out there, I'm not sure they've ever really tried to engage with these more meta questions about, you know, these fields of inquiry, this idea of even if you think it's been good for you to undo some of the conditioning or to see things a different way, even if you think it's been good for you, why do you assume it's going to be good for other people? And I I explain this to you now and I explain this to the audience now to, to get this idea out there that I definitely do not want to be people's leaders because I'm not convinced that what I have to share with them will be good for them. They have to make that decision. And once they start making that decision for themselves and double-checking things for themselves and reconsidering things for themselves, that is them being their own leader. So if I can encourage people to truly engage in skepticism and, and investigation and these kinds of things, then that's terrific. But I don't see that as me leading them. I see it as me hopefully encouraging them to to engage in these things, but it's definitely not leadership. And uh, I'm sure that you understand that, but I just want to make that clear. This podcast is not meant to lead anybody 
uh, for the reasons that I have explained to you. And in terms of people like you know Alex Jones and these others, as far as I'm concerned, they're just they're, they're broadcasters and they have their motivations for doing what they're doing. And if Alex Jones claims to have a million people listening, I would be very dubious about that claim. I think it might be significantly less than that. But whoever's listening to him, they feel like they're getting some kind of benefit from it. And I'm sure that Alex Jones feels like he's getting a benefit from doing what he's doing. And I'm sure that's true of all of us who put the time and effort into doing what we're doing. The question is, what is the benefit? For me, it's not, I don't have a multi-million dollar studio like uh, Alex Jones claims to have. And I don't have a a regular income from sponsors like he claims to have. And his motivations might be uh, financial or, or otherwise. People like you and me, Neg, our motivations might simply be by documenting this stuff now, we can sort of have an outlet to, to get our thoughts out there. Yeah, it actually helps you. That's why you're doing it. Because it's a, it's a, the leadership thing is a natural process. I mean, I'm not talking about like going out there and trying to be a leader. It's just a natural process. Some people have more skill sets in certain areas, including this understanding psychology of uh, conspiracies and psyops and things like that. They just have more skill sets in that area, and so naturally they lead and others follow. They don't have to say, I'm your leader and this and that. They just, because they have more knowledge in that area, people who have less knowledge follow them until their knowledge comes up to that level of skill, and they they kind of teach other people. So it works in that way in a natural process. It's not that you we're not going out there trying to lead people. It just happens naturally when you acquire a certain amount of understanding in a certain area a certain skill set a mental skill set of how to analyze things and then you pass this on in different ways to others by putting the stuff on the internet either through posts on threads or through audios like this whatever means you have or through memes or whatever you know and it's a subconscious the the deconditioning process is really important to stress this it is a subconscious process. You have to decondition your subconscious because your subconscious, if you study psychology a little bit, is the iceberg. The tip of the iceberg uh, sticking out of the water, which is only about uh, 10% or less, is your conscious mind, which, which controls the subconscious, which is about 90% under the water, which doesn't, doesn't know about past, present, or future, doesn't know about all these concepts that your concept mind formed, doesn't doesn't have those. And it it basically takes in whatever you feed it, good or bad, okay? Garbage in, garbage out. Good stuff in, good stuff out. So for, for m- most people's entire lives, they've, they, they haven't realized that they have to protect their subconscious, subconscious mind from negative programming, programming that is nefarious or against their own interests or or intended to dumb them down or make them think in certain areas that make them better consumers for the powers that be and all that because they haven't realized the psychological fact that they have to protect their subconscious and they they totally rely on their conscious and their conscious mind isn't enough your conscious mind isn't enough because your subconscious has the wrong values programmed in it the wrong values the wrong outlooks the it's garbage programmed in it. So before your conscious mind can even think clearly and judge clearly and not be too emotional in all this, you have to actually go into your subconscious mind and reprogram it 
by completely blocking access to the mainstream media, completely blocking access to all the junk channels of information, and just bombarding yourself with the good information, what you consider to be the valid information, see? But the problem with that is that a lot of the people that are passing themselves off as the valid information are also either deliberate, uh, are also either agents put out there to mislead people or useful idiots controlled by their own programmed, still programmed subconscious minds that they haven't completely deconditioned from. Do you know what I'm trying to say or should I clarify it? No, that makes perfect sense. A lot of people, they realize that TV is lying to them or is not their friend and they'll start looking at alternative sources, whether that's Alex Jones or YouTube channels like uh, Mark Dice or whatever the case might be. At a lower level, you've got people like Jeffrey C and these sorts of people. And no matter who it is, they're trying to get their information now from somebody else. And to me, this kind of ties into the problem because we're all conditioned from a young age to think that someone above you or someone further than you uh, has the truth to give you and you can just receive it, right? So whether you're receiving it from the teacher at school or you're receiving it from the government uh, minister who's giving a speech or you're receiving it from the television in your room or the computer or the tablet in your bedroom or a phone when you're on the train, whatever the case might be, this idea that you can get the truth or get good information from somebody else in a passive one-way experience, this goes to the heart of the problem. And if someone's being conditioned into believing or accepting that, or into not even questioning that, then it doesn't really matter which source they go to next. The problem remains the same. And so for me, going right back to when I first got into all of this, it was a case of trying to encourage people, no, go and read the primary source documentation for yourself. Don't just believe that this man invented this or this person did this uh, because someone else said it. Why don't you just go to the primary source information yourself? You know, and a lot of people, they haven't even been trained in, well, what is primary source information? What is secondary source? What is a tertiary source piece of evidence you know they haven't been taught about critical thinking what is a premise what is a conclusion what is a non sequitur what is a straw man if they haven't been trained in these things then it doesn't really matter where they go and search for information they're eventually going to be led down uh, the merry path by some joker that's what's ultimately going to happen and I guess for me Negan I'd love to get your opinion on this the more that I study the people who get into this kind of uh, so-called research or this field of inquiry the more I see that the majority of them, it's not so much that they're looking for uh, what you and I might call the truth or might debate about being the truth. It's more that they're looking for entertainment or feelings. You know what I mean? Does this, does this person make them feel good or does it make them feel the way that they want to feel? They're not so much interested in changing their habits. And the more you study humans, not just in this scene but anywhere, the more you realize that humans are very habitual creatures. And one of the most difficult things for a human to do especially once they reach adulthood, is to change their habits. That is, the, the actual physical things that they do day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month. So somebody can read 10 self-help books to motivate them to eat better or to exercise more. That's the easy part, and oftentimes it feels good. You know, These self-help books, they sell like hotcakes because they feel good to read. They motivate you. They tell you these amazing stories of other people. They encourage you to look to within yourself and the times that you succeeded, and they tell you to, you know, tomorrow's going to be a new day and imagine where you're going to be. And this can, also, this can all be very useful theoretically, but it needs to be put into practice to have any uh, value to you. It needs to change your habits. That's where most people run into hurdles because they're not going to change their habits. It's a very difficult thing for a human to do is to change their habits. And so if the habit is to just take information from others and accept it at face value 
and to always want to copy other people's opinions rather than synthesize their own. That's the habit. That's what needs to change. And for most people, that's never going to change, Nick, in my opinion. I'd, lo- I'd love to be wrong. I'd love to be okay. wrong. And especially if they don't think it's a bad habit. Like uh, if they don't think that uh, believing in Santa Claus is a bad habit as an adult, believing in Santa Claus is a bad habit, then they're not going to change it. You know what I'm referring to, Santa Claus, you know, religion? Sure, whether, whether it's religion. I mean, the, even just the word religion. Like if we think about, well, what is a religious belief? It's, you know, we tend to think of religions as being this belief in something that they can't prove necessarily, but that they think is good, like in an, in an immaterial sense, you know, in a majestical sense, there's this inherent goodness to it. There's this um, value that this thing has brought the world and they give their time and they give their belief to it. Sometimes they give their money to it, right? These are things that we associate with religion, which of course is true of television news and it's true of historical figures. I mean, I, I received a little bit of uh, consternation from some of my audience at the time when I explained to people why I think the story of Tesla is completely ridiculous, why I think that what we're told about Tesla and his supposed inventions and these things, why I think that if you just read this guy's uh, articles, because he didn't actually write any books, Tesla, can you believe that? If you read the articles that are attributed to him in the electrical experimenter, you know, from um, from 80 years ago, whatever the case might be, when you read the words that are attributed to him by the official history, you can see how utterly ridiculous the whole story is. Well, many people don't like hearing that because whether they realize it or not, they have deified, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, yeah. they've turned this guy into a, into a, a deity where... No, this this is Tesla. He he brought us like he's inherently good. He brought us good things. You know, he invented these great things. He was a martyr. You know, he was taken out by the by the Rockefellers or by the Morgans or whoever. Right? He was yeah, taken out. The he, hero's he, journey. Hero's yeah, journey. Hero's journey. Yeah. He he died for our sins. You know what I mean? And yeah, yeah. um and 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 he was this this great figure. And they know he was a great figure. They they don't need to read what he wrote in the electrical experiment. They already know he was a great figure. They don't need to read Psalms or Proverbs or John or Luke. They don't need to read any of this stuff. They already know that he's a good guy. Oh. And how dare you? Like, what's your motivation for questioning any of this? Why? What could possess you to want to challenge this guy? You are a blasphemer. You must have ulterior motives. How dare you, of all people, question our man Tesla? And to me, that's the same as religion. You know, whether it's Christianity or the nightly news or Nikola Tesla, uh, pick pick a person. You're bound to find someone who believes in them, and they will have a religious belief in that person or that idea or that organization or that group. Whatever it is, you'll find religious followers. Exactly. It's the same psychological manipulation in a different form. You know, it's a different it's a different Santa Claus, more closer closer to reality. It's a scientific Santa Claus. You know what I mean? So he brings you presents and you have to believe in him to get the presents. You see what I mean? So it's like a the same psychological manipulation in a different form. They're just screwing with their heads, you know? And a lot yeah. of these people, characters out there and only habit can overcome habit. So if for if you've had thirty years of bad habits, you can only you can overcome it, but you gotta have at least one or two years of good habits, constant good habits to replace it. And you gotta realize that it's a bad habit. If you don't realize that it's a bad habit, then you're not gonna change it. And you're not gonna check your premises. The most important thing is to check your premises. Because what are premises? Premises are the foundations of your building. The building that you've constructed in your head, the logical building that you've constructed in your head about anything. 
is based on foundational premises. And if those foundational premises are toxic, if they're perverted and corrupted already, and if they're not truthful, and if they've cracked, the foundation is already cracked, your building is not going to stay up. You know, it might stay up for a while, and then it's going to fall down. It's not going to be a solid construction, and it's, it's not going to be transmitted to the next generation in the form that it is. But if it is, then you're transmitting a, a building built on shifting sand, you know, these stupid premises that they're premises that have been given to you by the people that are manipulating you and pay these psychologists to figure these things out for them, to psyop, to psychologically operate on the minds of the public to change their perceptions. And they do this by poisoning the root of the tree, so the, the, the root of the truth, the word truth itself is to the root, T, it's the same sound even. You know, by poisoning the roots, then the leaves of belief, you know, and even the, the word belief has leaf in it, then those leaves, leaves are going to be poisoned. And that these poisoned trees are then transferred to the next generation and the next generation, and the vicious cycle continues intergenerationally. You know what I mean? So all this stuff, the most important thing is to check your premises. It's not, it's not half as important to be, be great at logic, to, to be excellent at logic, to have flawless logic, than to be able to check your premises and make sure that your premises are sound and your foundation is sound. Yeah, I mean, many people don't even know what you mean when you say premise or conclusion. I've made this point many times before that you can graduate in Victoria, which is our second largest state by population here in Australia, you can graduate the high school there in the top few percent of the state and get entrance to just about any university degree that you want. And you can do that without having to study logic for so much as one minute. And so you'll have these high school graduates finishing in the top percent of the state. Some of them go to private schools or nice schools where they might be taught these things formally, but you'll have many who have done well academically in maths and in English and in science classes, but have never actually had to study logic formally where they're graduating the top a few percent of their state they're going to university, going to good universities. They're feeling very smart and very accomplished. And in a way, they have every right to. They've just spent 12 or 13 years at school. They've done well by the most objective measure that they're aware of, which is the final high school exam scores. And then uh, and they get to university and they literally do not know what a non sequitur is. Now, how could that be possible if education was there to make people good at thinking? And of course, you know and I know and most of the audience know that school doesn't exist to teach us how to think. The problem that we've got is that many people know this. They now realize, oh yeah, school you know, school didn't teach me about money or about banking or about real history. Well, didn't I'm still going to send my kids to it. I'm still going to send yeah. my kids. Well, not only are they still going to send their kids <laughs> to it, but they're not then going to go back and say, well, maybe I should spend a couple of weekends, you know, maybe I should spend a bit of my spare time reading up on critical thinking, on logic, on, on just basic level, this is like basic level philosophy in a way. They're not going to go back and spend their time trying to remediate the problems to teach themselves remedial classes on thinking because that would require A, a change of habit, and B, too much time and effort. And now we live in a time when, okay, government's lying to me. Okay, school didn't teach me how to think properly, but I worked all of that out, so I must be smart, so I don't need to go back and teach myself remedial logic. And in the meantime, look, 
look at all these subscription videos I've got. I've got 50 new videos in my subscriptions list. This is going to take me all night to watch. They go and watch their videos. They get instant stimulation. They go to bed. The next day they go to work. They do the same thing over and over again. So they can know full well that school isn't there to help them. They can know full well they've never actually been taught proper critical thinking. And they can know full well that that information is out there should they choose to pursue it. But they're not going to change their habits because changing habits is such a difficult thing for humans to do. Now, this isn't all people involved in this scene, but I think it is the vast majority. Even when they're aware of the problem and they know where to find the solution, they're not actually going to pursue the solution. And with that being the case, if that is the case, then maybe people can start to see why I think even if there were a truth movement, there'd be no real hope for it because you would need people to change their behaviors. You'd need them to change their habits if they were to make a positive impact on their own lives, let alone other people's lives. So this notion that people who know there's a problem are somehow any threat to the establishment is utterly ridiculous when you really start to think about it. Yep, they're demoralized. The point of the demoralization process was to get people to where they cannot come to sensible conclusions about what is right and what is wrong about what is true and what is false. Exposure to true information does not matter anymore. A person who is demoralized is unable to access, is unable to assess true information. The facts tell nothing to him. Even if I shower him with information, with authentic proof, with documents and pictures, even if I take him by force and show him the actual material physical proof, he will refuse to believe it until he receives a kick on his fat bottom. So America is basically stuck with demoralization. Even if you start right now, this minute, educating a new generation of Americans, it will still take you 15 to 20 years to turn the tide of ideological perception of reality back to normalcy. And this was this quote was said by uh, Yuri Bezmanov. Yeah, and he's on YouTube. It's a video called "Deception Was My Job," and it's supposed to be ex-KGB, and it's a video with G. Edward Griffin who wrote the book, the famous book called The Creature, the Creature from of Jekyll, Jekyll Island. Island. Yeah. yeah, and that's a fascinating video. That for me was a big one uh, in my, like early on in my little journey here. And uh, I think the, that actual interview was recorded in 1984. I might be mistaken, but I think it was 1984 because obviously that's a, a year that sticks in the memory of many of us. And uh, looking back now, I, I do wonder how much of that Bezmanov story uh, can be taken at face value. But the quote itself, I think, is brilliant. And it's so true because he, he even says in that same little um, passage that, you know, he goes, like you said, he has to be kicked up his bottom. And he's like, um, these people will believe, you know, the, the, the professors and what have you, they'll fully believe in this progressive um, agenda right up until they're the first ones killed. Because once the, the real, like the real uh, people sort of make clear their plans, you know, their progressive plans were really about subversion of the people once they make that so clear that uh, anyone can see it the first people to go will be the true believers and he's like they'll believe right up until the moment they're being marched to the wall and then they will see and then he says and you have to see it i guess to get the full appreciation of it and then he says and that's the true tragedy of the situation you know what i mean like <laughs> even as he's talking about this um this macabre reality of how people will believe that their enemies are their friends right up until their enemies point a gun at their head the, the fact that they do that, that's the tragedy that at the last moment, then they'll realize, but it will be too late. Like the great, that's the great tragedy of the situation. And he's completely correct. Uh, people who seem otherwise intelligent will defend to the last minute things because they really believe in them. And this is something that I learned early on, even before I got into any of this. Oftentimes, people who disagree with you, oftentimes, people who treat you as their enemies, 
it's worth remembering that in their minds, they're doing the right thing. They are the cause of good. You know, the, the, totally. yeah. the, the fool who, you know, sticks their head up at a, at a public meeting and, and decries you for being a this or a that, in their mind, they're doing the right thing. They're standing up for the other races or they're standing up for the, the other classes or they're standing up for the poor news presenters who are just doing it. In their mind, they're standing up for the weak, you know what I mean? And they're doing that because they've been trained to do that. Their emotions have been taken advantage of and in their eyes, you're the bad guy just as much as in your eyes, the enemies are the bad guys, yeah. you see. Everyone and- has their reasons. Even Charles Manson had his own reasons, whether you think that whole thing was real or whatever. Even everybody has their reasons. It's just not the right reasons. Yeah. And I love the way he says, uh, Bezmanov says, useful idiot. He says it with such contempt. Useful idiot. <laughs> he says it with such contempt. You know, I'm going to have to record that and put it on my podcast. Yeah, well, if we had more time, I'd play it right now. But the the show no, not has the whole quickly... thing. Just the useful idiot. I already put the whole thing, not the whole thing, but I already put the best part on my other podcast. But that uh, just the way he says "useful idiot" with that Russian accent, you know, it's uh, he says it with such contempt. I think nobody says it as well as him <laughs> because he's seen he's supposedly seen so many useful idiots. You know, they used to invite all the Western kind of left leaning Marxist. Uh, journalists and uh, academics and people that were that they were infiltrating in other countries they would and they would brainwash them into the Marxist uh, ideology and try to kind of like spread Marxism in these countries uh, they would they would invite these people back to the USSR and of course they would show them completely fake uh, whatever they wanted to see whatever Whatever the, the, those guys, people wanted to see, that's what they would show them. They wouldn't show them any of the bad stuff, any of the gulags, any of the uh, people that were in uh, living in uh, as as not not the, the lifestyle of the people, how terrible it was, and all that stuff. They wouldn't show it, you know. And I've been there, and I've, I was there with my parents in the '80s. They took me over to Armenia, and before. Before Armenia, I was in Moscow, and, and at that time, St. Petersburg was called Leningrad and all that. So I've seen it firsthand in the 80s, and it was pretty <laughs> it was pretty depressing, especially for a kid. At that time, I was very young, and uh, I think I was, like, I was like 13 years old at the time. And the, the whole uh, – there was nothing to do. There was nothing to do for a kid. There was no – there was no music to listen to. If if you wanted to listen to Western music, like at that time, I was I was starting to get into like the, all the rock bands and stuff uh, that teenagers get into. Uh, I remember I had a Queen uh, live Queen uh, tape with me. I had a couple of other tapes that I was constantly listening to those tapes on my Walkman. At that time, the Walkman just had just come out, the cassette Walkman, and because there was nothing else to do, there was no TV to watch, there was no concerts to go to the food was terrible there were flies on the freaking planes that that went from the russian planes that went from the city to city there were flies on the freaking planes and there were, there was barf that they didn't clean between the flights it was really ridiculous so i knew i know firsthand that what he says is at least to that extent that i saw true and then, uh, but they wouldn't show that, of course, to the visitors. They would, they would treat them like the useful idiots they were, and they would kind of 
take them to parties. They would make them drink a lot of vodka, so they would they would uh, see things uh, from happy, uh, like rose-colored lenses, and basically they would go back and report this bullshit that they were fed in their own press and in their own books and their own media to back to their own st- stupid populace, and they would be useful idiots for them. They wouldn't even have to be direct agents. They just this is the way they all they need is a couple of people that are experts in this psychology and how to uh, create useful idiots and you can create useful idiots even out of the re- supposedly really smart people who are academics with PhDs and all kinds of degrees and of course with useful idiots the idea is a useful idiot doesn't realize that they're a useful idiot and I guess it's probably worth all of us asking ourselves how much of what we do is helping the people who would be our enemies or our farmers or however you conceptualize the people who you think might or might not run the show, how much are we doing that ultimately supports the system, even when we think we're going against it? So when we're giving our attention to the news in order to debunk the news, is that really hurting the news or is us giving it attention still helping it? Or even in the case of someone like myself, I like to think that doing the research that I've done actually is beneficial for the very tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of people who care about these kind of things, right? And I'll use the same example from before, the Cavendish experiment. Miles Mathis had written a paper on it prior to my work, but my work was the first that I'm aware of ever that I know of on the internet. I hope I'm wrong, but from what I can tell, I'm not, to actually look at the Cavendish experiment for what it was and then get people to ask, do you really believe that this is possible? What they're presenting to you as having been done do you really believe that's possible? In the case of Miles Mathis, he hadn't really done that. He'd spent a lot of time talking about all these other versions of the experiment, but he'd ultimately concluded that the experiment was plausible and real. So in terms of someone coming along and going, really, do you really believe they could do this? I feel like I was the first person that I know of to do it, at least in the way that I did it. And I like to think that that was a good contribution to the field of inquiry of asking, where are we really living? What's really going on? How much can we trust science, etc.? I like to think it was a good thing, but how do I know that by releasing that work, it wasn't playing right into the hands of whoever runs the show who might have just been waiting for someone to come along and expose this to then analyze how many people really care? And they might have said, thank you very much, John LeBon, because we've now assessed that you releasing that information the way that you did, only 200 people watched the video to the end. And of those, only 50 bothered to click on the links that you provided. So you've just done our dirty work for us by releasing the truth of this matter. We've now analyzed that only 50 people care. And uh, we, we now know that our disinformation is working even better than we expected. You see what I mean? Now, I'm not saying that that is the case, Nick, that that's what actually happened. But the idea of useful idiots is that you're not supposed to know if, uh, if, if you are a useful idiot. You're meant to think that you're part of something good. And uh, I'm, I'm always questioning, well, how much good am I really doing? Like, um, how much of a useful idiot am I still? How much of a useful idiot am I still? Okay, that's what you got to ask yourself. Even if you're, you think you're, you're kind of over. You, you're, you, you know how to, all this stuff works. You still got to ask that every day. You still got to kick yourself in the ass every day and say, oh, maybe I'm being a useful idiot now. So you got to always check your premises and check your check what you're thinking. It never ends. So you always have to but it's it's there are rewards, you know? It's a bitter pill in the beginning, 
But after a while, there's rewards. You know, it might take you six months to a year, but once you get there, then the reason I'm doing this is because it's good for me. I mean, I feel a lot better than I did before when I was all the, all, all this junk in my head. So right now, I feel a lot better than I did before. So it's it's kind of its own motivation. I don't even need to be motivated by uh, oh, if if 10 million people wake up all together and uh, some big rock star comes out for the truth movement or whatever. At, at, well, or they already have, and it still hasn't done much, you know, like Billy Corgan and Willie Nelson and all these people, uh, at least for the Alex Jones show, the, the shill part of the, the, the truth movement. But it, it it's not a matter of waking up a lot of people that, that's going to make me happier. It's just my pursuing the truth and you pursuing the truth. It's a bitter pill at first. At first, it hurts. At first, it's a very depressing. But after a while... After a couple of years, or maybe a year or two, depending on when you get into this information, it gets the learning curve gets faster and faster. I constantly keep hearing people. Well, John told me uh, that he took him only like a year to year or two to get to the level of information that he has now. But as for me, it took me uh, at least ten years. So the learning curve keeps improving a little bit year after year after year, and the newer people coming into the business, like. A business. That's a business, all right. From Alex Jones on down, up, up in the, the upper levels, it's a business, but not here. Okay, it's a very small business, like a, like a basic, uh, like a nickel and diming. Yeah, some people are behind paywalls, others aren't. So if, what was I even talking about? I lost my train of thought. <laughs> well, you were, you were saying that you think that overall it's worth it. And I guess for me... Yeah, I've, it is worth I've, it. I've, yeah, I've it is worth on, a, on an individual basis, it's worth it. After you swallow the bitter pill, after you get depressed for a while, then you realize that your whole being changes and you become a different person. You like yourself better because you understand things better. And overall, your outlook changes, especially if you block access to all mainstream media channels and all the toxic information and get into the less toxic, the lesser toxic, lessen the toxicity, then you become healthier and healthier. And it's from a lot of different areas. It's from diet, it's from psychology, it's from checking your premises, making sure your subconscious doesn't have all kinds of junk in it every day, all from a lot of different sources because they are, it's a multi-tiered, multi-pronged, what they say, manipulation from all different areas. And it's been going on for a long time and they know exactly what they're doing and you don't. So you got to learn this and kind of like try to pass it on to some people at least. Uh, so at least if you're feeling good, you're going to have at least a few hundred people or a few thousand people in the world feeling good that, that can also share that feeling. You know? Well, let, let me give you uh, a slightly different perspective. For me, I see a whole bunch of benefits to what I feel I've discovered over the last few years. I also see a bunch of negatives. So let me share with you this perspective and then, and then get your take. On the positive side, sure, many benefits, right? I'm no longer in any way, shape or form scared of asteroids or nuclear war or any sudden uh, impact, death, um, you know, scenario. To me, it's all ridiculous. I'm definitely not scared of World War Three. I no longer worry about who's in political power here or there or what have you. All of these things that I might have worried about to one degree or another in the past, whether I was conscious of it or not, 
no longer concerned of in the slightest because I now realise that uh, meteor impacts are fake. I now realise that nuclear bombs are fake. I now realise that Trump is a puppet, Hillary is a puppet, the people in my country, they're all puppets, they're all part of a broader agenda. Whether or not they realise it, I realise it. So all of these things that I used to worry about, I'm no longer in the least bit worried about, right? So I'm a lot more uh, stress-free. And then I guess by reconsidering my views on so many things, it led me to reconsider my views on other things like diet. So my diet now is very different. So there are all these areas where I would say that I'm better off or that I've, I've benefited. Then, of course, I've met some cool people as well in real life. I've got to meet uh, probably about a dozen now, maybe more, maybe 20 people now I've got to meet in real life through doing this work online. I've, I've got to build some actual real life relationships, which is terrific. So I could name a whole bunch of things that I've benefited from, from this, I guess, journey over the last couple of years. But there's a whole bunch of negatives as well. For instance, you start to feel, I start to feel a bit of a distance between myself and people who I used to feel a common bond with. Because if I can look at something like an image on a screen on the wall and see clearly that that's fake footage, right? Like that 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 house that's getting hit by an atomic bomb, that's clearly a two-scale replica that's been filmed just like a, a, a film from, from the 1950s. It's ridiculous, right? If I can see that and the person next to me, a friend or a family member, they actually think that's a nuclear bomb that's hit that house, even though it's obviously not. It, it creates a certain distance between you and them in your experience of life, and it, it makes it more difficult to feel that you can relate to them in other areas, or at least that's been my experience. And I could yeah. name, name a whole bunch of other examples as well. So I don't look at it and say, oh, this, is, this has been so good for me. I'm, I'm so lucky that I no longer believe the TV. This has been great. It's like, well, in some ways I'm better off, sure. But in other ways, I'm not, I'm not so sure that's been good for me. And so I would never try and impose this on someone else who had not asked for it. And the question that I ask people often is, if you, if you see that person, I like to point to people and say, see that person over there? If you could walk over to that person and you knew for a fact that they would listen to you and within five minutes, you could convince them that event X was fake or that government propaganda Y was fake or that this weapon didn't exist or whatever. If you were absolutely confident that you could do it, it was just a question of whether you wanted to or not, would you do it? And most people I ask this question, they say without hesitation, yep, of course I would. And I say, why? And they're like, well, because they need to know. And I say, well, why do they need to know? And, and it's very rare they can give me an answer. Sometimes I like to add an addendum to the question. I'm like, you, I ask them the same question, but not only will they believe you, they'll go back and, and research it at home and they'll see that you were right and they'll be less happy as a result. It'll actually make them less happy for one reason or another in some objective sense of the term. They'll feel less happy. Would you tell them? And still I have people say to me, yep, I'd still tell them. And I'm like, what? So, so this person who's done nothing wrong to you and is not your enemy in any way, you would happily walk over to them and tell them something, true as it may be, that would make them less happy. Yep, to me, that's sick. Pardon my language. That's, I don't agree with that one bit. And I think a lot of people, that their mind is so fixated that to them, truth being good and being useful and, and beneficial, it's so axiomatic, they've never taken the moment to question it. Or worse, they have questioned it. They realize that deep down, there are parts of them that are not happy that they know what they know. And so by convincing themselves that it's good, that's the only way they can deal with what they've learned because deep down, they haven't really dealt with what they've learned. Yeah, people, people don't care what you know. They care about how you make them feel. That I put that on my very first pod. And if you can make people feel better, then they will accept what you know a little bit more. So it's very important to be, you know, always be have a sense of humor about it and have a sense of humor about yourself most of all 
And if you can make them feel better, then they'll more they'll be more accepting of your uh, information. That's why the, so many people use uh, what do you call it the the comedians. Uh, so many uh, comedians are. Uh, why do people follow comedians? Because comedians make them laugh, and they like people like George Carlin. They put out a lot of good information, but they were able to get this information to the people because they were funny, you know, because they were humorous. So they made them laugh so much that they would accept a lot of these uh, countercultural uh, ideas that he would put in his uh, comedic routines. And later on, if you know, if I don't know if you followed George Carlin, have you ever followed George Carlin before? Yeah, I think both George uh, Carlin and uh, Bill Hicks. I have a sneaking yeah, yeah. suspicion that they uh, weren't necessarily there to help us. Well, whatever. You know, I'm just saying I'm a big fan of George Carlin and also big his, Bill Hicks or whatever his name is. But uh, but George Carlin I've been following since the 1980s, since I was in junior high school, since I first listened to the Seven Dirty Words, the famous Seven Dirty Words routine, which was hilarious. So after uh, after that, George Carlin I've been following through, the, through his tapes and his HBO specials that he did. And he gradually became angrier and angrier and angrier, almost like a grumpy old man. But he was still funny enough that even though people were were kind of offended by what he was saying and didn't did, weren't that comfortable with it, he was still funny enough that they would still he would still get through to them, and people would still come to his uh, concerts and still would buy his albums and stuff. Did he really get through to them though? Well, he got through to them. Well, what did he get through to them? His his stance was his stance was kind of like a between libertarian hippie and left wing. So I don't know what his stance was, even was. His, his, well, I'll give you an example. Or, one of, the, one yeah. of the things that he's known for is sort of walking around the stage saying, "It's a big club, and you ain't in it, right?" Then he'll get this applause, and he'll talk about how. They don't care about you. They don't care about you. They don't. They do not care about you, right? And still, the audience have these smiles and this laughter on their faces. And it's like, okay, George Carlin might fully understand that the politicians on people's screens don't care about them. They literally do not care about you. I mean, recently I went to, uh, I guess, a public event where people get together and they discuss certain topics. And the topic of this particular day was voting. And, um, you know, should everyone have the right to vote or who should be allowed to vote, right? About a dozen people in the room at the Queensland State Library. And we discussed uh, this topic, you know, in like a, a cordial, friendly fashion. And this is a regular thing that this group does. And I go there sometimes just to keep my finger on the pulse. And most of these people in the room, whether they realize it or not, they still believe that the politicians, for the most part, care about them, right? They still believe that these people that in most cases they've never met and will never meet, for some reason care about them. They wouldn't assume that if they had half a brain in their head about anyone else, you know, the person who's uh, five doors down or the mechanic. They wouldn't just assume that this person cares about you on an intimate level, but for some reason, they assume it of politicians, right? So, and people really believe this stuff. So George Carlin knows, no, this politician does not care about you. You think that they care, but they don't. And why would they? There's, there's 20 million, 25 million Australians. You think they care about all 20? That's impossible. It's physically impossible. They're not going to care about all of you, right? George Carlin knows it, and he can make a joke about it to the audience in the crowd, and they're laughing, but do they really get it? 
No, because the very next day they're going back to work and the very next election that comes up, they're voting. And if their friend at work argues and says, no, no, uh, Hillary definitely will not make things better. Yes, she, like there's, they're still going to get into arguments about petty things because they don't get it. They can laugh at a joke without actually getting what's being said. In fact, there's an argument that that's sometimes the funniest comedy. It's like ironically funny that you can tell someone the truth and they can laugh, in, like they can laugh with you and they don't get it. There are some people out there who would argue that's actually a very, very funny form of comedy where you can straight up tell people the truth and they'll laugh with you and you're like, dude, I'm, I'm telling you the truth here. Yeah, it's really funny. It's, well, actually, it's not so funny, dude, because you're still going back to work tomorrow and you're still going to vote at the next election and you still think these people care for you. So it's, it's actually not that funny. It's actually sad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, they don't care about us, you know. Can you see what I'm saying? So George Carlin, I don't, I'm not convinced that he was... Um, how do I put this? He might have known the truth, but I'm not, I'm not convinced his job was to convince people of the truth, if you see what I'm trying to say. Yeah. If you want to tell people the truth, make them laugh. Otherwise, they'll kill you. <laughs> yeah, well, I think... I think, I think either, either Oscar Wilde or George Bernard Shaw said that, and other, two other Irish people. Yeah, I mean, take, take um, Alex Jones, right? He was a big inspiration for me. I actually did some stand-up comedy on the Brisbane scene, right? There's a, an open mic night uh, scene that you can get involved in. I did like five open mic night uh, spots, right? Getting up on a stage in front of a whole bunch of randoms and trying to make them laugh, right? It's a, it's a pretty full-on thing to do, really. And I was a lot younger back then. And uh, I gave it a go. And my big inspiration was Bill Hicks. And if I listen to those podcasts now, I can hear it. I can actually hear in my delivery and even in the jokes that I tell this um, inspiration from, uh, from Bill Hicks. So imagine how it felt for me when I realized Bill Hicks was uh, just as bad as George Carlin, if not worse. Go back and listen to Bill Hicks. He makes jokes about how the Christians are crazy because there were no dinosaurs in the Bible. Well, there's two obvious problems with that one. He makes jokes about how drugs are so good for you and how, you know, doing acid, it, it opens his mind and these kinds of things. Well, look into LSD where that came from. He's, he's basically pushing another CIA, you know, psyop on the people, this fake counterculture that didn't come from the anti-establishment, it came straight from the establishment. He, if you look through the kinds of jokes that Bill Hicks tells, sure, there's some good ones that you can take something from, but ultimately, it's a materialist, scientism, a nihilistic view of the world that gives you as your answer drugs. You know, this is not this guy was not on my side at all, and yet. Uh, for a long time there I thought that he was now I was able to overcome that even though he was an inspiration for me to the point of my behavior changed right I saw a documentary about him called Bill Hicks the American Story I saw it while I was under the influence of one thing or another had a profound effect on me I said that's it I've got to go and do it I've got to go and do some stand-up sets tried to find an open mic night and away I went right he was enough of an inspiration to me to actually change my behavior which very few people ever do change their behavior right despite that fact when it dawned on me that he was not on my side, it wasn't easy, but I was like, okay, uh, he wasn't necessarily on my side and I moved on with my life. But most people, Neg, cannot do that. If someone is an inspiration to them, especially if it affects their behavior, they're never going to admit that they've been, uh, been hoodwinked because it's, it's, it's ego crushing and most people are far more egotistical than they can ever even imagine. They'll accuse people like me of being arrogant and egotistical because I speak with confidence, right? To them, that, to them that's egotistical. Oh, he's confident in what he says and he defends what he says because he's done the research. That's egotistical. And I'm like, well, when I'm shown that I'm wrong, when I realize I'm wrong, I admit it and I move on with my life. You, yeah. on the other hand, will never admit a single thing because you're the one with the ego. Your whole identity, your whole understanding of this realm is based on this notion that you've got it all worked out. And if it ever occurs to you that, no, you were wrong about something, it hurts you so much, you'll attack the person telling you you're the one with the ego. That's the problem. 
I've admitted a whole bunch of times that I was wrong. I was wrong about the original, the way I thought about the original, uh, the, the, the loose change version of 911. I was wrong about that. I was wrong about Judy Wood. I even bought her stupid book. I paid her 40 bucks. She's probably, she's probably uh, has hundreds of thousands of dollars from selling her stupid book. It was very popular at one time. And uh, it was actually outselling David Icke at one time on, on Amazon. I remember checking the sales ranks. And it has so many reviews, too. It's a stupid freaking book. I mean, I can't even stand looking at it. I still have it because I can't bear to sell it on eBay and pass on the disinformation to anybody else, you know? So uh, well, that's, that's a, whole, maybe a whole bunch of times. And then from, from, and then from Clues Forum, and then I went from her to Ace Baker. For a while, I thought Ace Baker had it down. Then from there to Clues Forum and Simon Shack, and then I'm on Simon Shack now. And pretty much I'm still there. I'm still at the... At the clues for as far as this the media fakery psyops go, uh, clues forum takes it as far as they can take it. Unfortunately, they're they're the best source. Unfortunately, it's mostly in written written form on the on the website itself, and they uh, there's a very elitist website. They allow very few people on there, which is hilarious because at the same time there's a lot of cultural Marxists on the website that they wanna they wanna admit just anybody. Can come into the come into the countries of Europe and screw up their culture, but they don't want to screw up their own culture at Clues Forum and their elitist over there and anybody that wants to come in because they've had supposedly so many shields infiltrate the place that they anybody that comes in he's got to write a letter he's got to do this he's got to do that until he's accepted to come in now and it's even I, worse I, than that it's even worse than that if you come along to their forum and you can contribute something that none of them may manage to pick up for a year or two and again i'm referring to that gravity thread someone comes along and says oh this guy he's been sent by the establishment uh, he's been given a name but this is what they said he's been given a name by the cia gustave lebon is based on uh, sorry, John LeBon is based on Simon LeBon from Duran Duran, and he's been sent here specifically to attack Simon Shack, and he's talking about his skepticism of the well, scientific heliocentric model because he's been sent here specifically to attack us, right? They, they, they booted me from the forum when I'd done literally nothing wrong, right? So it's even, it's even worse than what you say. And then when you talk about the cultural Marxism that they're pushing, you should listen to that podcast that they did recently. I'm not sure if it was the Holocaust one or the one before that. But you've basically got Hoy Polloi sitting there talking about how the white man is so evil. How many people did the white man wipe out? And, you know, Simon Shack used to be a real racist and a real anti-Semite. And it really caused problems between us because I'm one quarter Jew. But, but now Simon realizes he was a racist. And like, it's like... What, Why did you say this? Is this, this on the last podcast? This, this I haven't is even either in the, it. It's either in their most recent one or the one before that. But yeah, like, and you have to listen because a lot of people, when they're listening to podcasts, they're not really listening. They've got it on in the background and they're thinking about other things. But if you do try and get yourself in the habit, you'll get better at actually putting together patterns as you're listening, like a jigsaw puzzle, right? So when someone says uh, A, B, or C, then they come back and they say it again. And you're like, hold on, that's twice in one. Then all of a sudden, three or four, you're like, hold on, I've been, I've listened to this four hour podcast. And you've managed to bash Whitey four times. You know what I mean? I've, I've been listening to four hours and you've managed to bash Whitey four times and talk about Simon Shack, the anti-Semite, just because he thinks that maybe some Jews are, are not completely uh, honest. You've managed to bash Simon Shack four times and bash the Whitey yourself four times in one four-hour podcast. Hmm, this is a little bit suspicious. You see what I mean? But that kind of podcast, you can put that in front of 100 people. Very few will identify those patterns because they're not really listening. You see, and this is another problem. So many people involved in the so-called truth movement, they don't have attention spans that are long enough 
to actually listen to what's being said, to identify the patterns, to come up with an idea of what's really being said, what's being implanted into their head. You know, without that attention, how can, it's almost like being a detective sometimes, trying to put together the pieces. Well, how can you put together the pieces if the moment you see one, you forget it because you're looking at the next one? Like most people, if we use the analogy of a jigsaw puzzle, they can't put the jigsaw uh, puzzle together because they can't see more than one or two pieces at a time. You know, it's, it, yeah. their, their mind is not trained in focusing on things and thinking on things. And they could train themselves, but they refuse to because that would be to admit that up until this point, they haven't been working as efficiently as they could. And they'll never admit that. I've put two years into the truth movement. I've put five years into it. I've had people tell me that I, ha- I have to be wrong because they've been here for 10 years. It's like, you only got here two years ago. What would you know? I've, I've been into this scene since 2000. And I'm like, well, if you've been here for so long, how come you know so little? You know, and I've had this experience with many, many people. And what, why is this? It's because they don't know how to think. They refuse to learn how to think. They refuse to practice thinking. The end result is they can't think. And a man who can't think, well, like Yuri Bezmanov said, the truth means nothing to him. Yeah. There's the difference between knowledge and understanding. There's an Aldous Huxley video. I know people have been um, made afraid of Aldous Huxley. I think Aldous Huxley was MK Ultra and all this. There's an Aldous Huxley lecture that everyone should listen to. It's called... Uh, one of, the first part is called knowledge and understanding, and it's, it's about the difference between knowledge and pseudo-knowledge and knowledge and understanding. It's very important to, to learn how to think. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are going to say, oh, it's Aldous Huxley. Aldous Huxley is trying to manipulate you to not be able to think. He's trying to dumb you down. Screw you, okay? Just listen to that audio and tell me which part of it is trying to dumb you down. He's actually trying to make you smarter if you understand what the hell he's talking about. Then there's another one called Who Are We? And these are both, they can easily be found on YouTube. And people should listen to both of these many, many times. And if you just listen to those two audios, uh, and you also read, um, there's an essay called uh, On Truth and Lie in an Extra Moral Sense. And that's by Friedrich Nietzsche. And it was, list- and it was written back in, I think, 1875. And if you read that essay, it's a short essay. It's about... Uh, two or three pages, but it's very, very deep. And I think I, re- I read it on my very first podcast at the very end. So I don't know if people like my reading or not, but if they don't like my reading, there's probably other readings online. But you should read it, uh, people should read it themselves because in that essay and in the two Aldous Huxley uh, lectures, if you just listen to those two Huxley lectures and read that essay of Nietzsche's, you will basically, it teaches you how to think. It teaches you why... Uh, verbal logic is not to be relied on completely because verbal logic is just symbolic. You know, it's just symbols. All, all, all means of communication are symbolic. Human means of communication are through the senses, through your senses, and they are symbolic. You have to use symbols uh, to identify something. You know, when the first word you learn, how do you learn the first word when you're an infant? When it, well, you know, you see some kind of uh, fuzzy kind of uh, the, 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 when an infant is born, it, it can't distinguish between different objects and things, and it just sees like fuzzy things, and then there's these fuzzy things, and then after a while, like it puts borders around it, and then makes a noise, you know, mama, mama, or some kind of noise, you know. So originally, the first, the first way that a baby is even able to perceive information from the outside world and start to form perceptions and then from perceptions concepts is metaphorical the process is metaphorical for because it's a visual metaphor first 
you know, the fuzzy image that becomes the mother. And then that's the first metaphor, a visual metaphor. And the second metaphor is when uh, the, the basic mouth noise, which only uses your lips and not even your tongue, uh, mama or papa, both. And that's what all babies, that's where the word comes from. And that's because that's what all babies first pronounce is mama or papa most of the time. You know, I'm sure there's cases of them using their tongues right away, you know, but uh, that the second one is a sound metaphor, you know, because you're using a sound, a mouse noise to put to identify this visual continuum that you just made. That's your mother. And then afterwards, there might be a chair, there might be a dog, there might be this or that that you start identifying, but it's in a hierarchy of identifications, and it's all symbols first and then metaphors. And then from metaphors connected, you go to uh, metaphorical verbal language, which is all symbolic, it's all maps, never the territory itself, it's never fully the object, it's always, you're always detailing your maps. Map is never the territory itself. The concept is not the raw materials. And this is what a lot of people assume that when you just, if you put a word on something, that automatically becomes the entire object. And that's not true. You know, for any object that you even have a concept of, about, you can expand, you can take a concept and you can just, the, the main concept, and you can, you just, just, just the concept of mother itself, you can write it. There's been 10,000 books about written about 10,000 paragraphs probably written about mothers. How many million paragraphs written about mothers? It's a complex thing, but it's narrowed down to only one word, and the the map is not the territory. Well, I yeah. think that's a, a good place to, to leave it because what we can say is to people that in our next uh, chat, we'll make sure that we focus more on the philosophy side okay. of your life because... That was the plan. We were meant to go through uh, the alternative media, 9-11, these sorts of things, then talk about philosophy and uh, nature and, and these sorts of things. Unfortunately, time got completely away okay. from us, and we're well over two and a half hours now. So probably right. time to wrap it up. But what we'll do is we've spoken about a lot of things tonight. Do you want to give the audience an idea of, firstly, where they can find more of your work? But secondly, if you could leave them with an idea of, if we've identified certain problems, what might be the solutions? Or you yourself have tried many different things and looked at different areas the ones that after all of this time you think have been the most beneficial to you, what are some of the more positive and the more, I guess, useful or practical examples or ideas or concepts that you can leave listeners with? Yeah, well, we'll put all the links to my Negantropic Chronicles podcast or whatever and all the David Icke forum uh, threads and stuff and all the other threads that I've started. We'll put some links, links below your podcast when you put it out there. So let me just leave people with a really good quote. It is quite natural that we should adopt a defensive and negative attitude towards every new opinion concerning something on which we have already an opinion of our own. For it forces its way as an enemy into the previously closed system of our own convictions, shatters the calm of mind we have attained through the system, demands renewed efforts of us, and declares our former efforts to have been in vain. A truth which retrieves us from error is consequently to be compared with a physic as much for its bitter and repellent taste as for the fact that it takes effect not at the moment it is imbibed but only after time sometime afterwards thus if we see the individual obstinately clinging to his errors with the mass of men it is even worse once they have acquired an opinion experience and instruction can labor for centuries against it and labor in vain 
so that there exist certain universally popular and firmly accredited errors which countless numbers contentedly repeat every day. Most of these are repeated parrot fashion without much thought being given to them and merely because when people first heard them said they found them very wise sounding. What the pathetic commonplace heads with which the world is crammed really lack are two closely related faculties, that of forming judgments and that of producing ideas of their own. But these are lacking to a degree which he who is not one of them cannot easily conceive, so that he cannot easily conceive the dolefulness of their existence. It is this deficiency, however, which explains on one hand the poverty of the scribbling which in all nations passes itself off to its contemporaries as their literature, and on the other, the fate that overtakes true and genuine men who appear among such people. All genuine thought and art is to a certain extent an attempt to put big heads on small people. So it is no wonder the attempt does not always come off. Intellect is a magnitude of intensity, not a magnitude of extension, which is why in this respect, one man can confidently take on 10,000 and a thousand fools do not make one wise man. Okay, that's by Arthur Schopenhauer and from the essay that he wrote on philosophy and the intellect. All right, I think that pretty much sums it up. Well, I'll make sure I provide a link to that quote in the show notes in the info box below. And uh, that gives people some idea of what they can expect the next time that you and I press record on the old Skype recorder. How's that sound? Yeah, we'll do a lot more 911, more detailed 911 investigation next time. We went a little bit off the subject into philosophy and stuff and uh, the truth movement because, you know, there's a lot to talk about and it can't be covered in just two, three hours. Yeah, I mean, there's so much to talk about. You've been involved yeah. in this for many, many years longer than me, even just in the oh, two or three years. years. 17 freaking years now. Yeah, so, um, and so even just in the time that I've been involved in this, I feel like I've got a lot that I can speak about. And as many of listeners know, I can just sit there for two or three hours just talking all by myself, and I still wouldn't even be scratching the surface. So there's lots to talk about. You and I will have to reconvene. But a big thanks to you, Negan Tropic, for taking the time to join me today. And I'll try and get this one out to the people within maybe uh, 12 or 24 hours. We'll see how we go. And that concludes the pilot episode of Perspectives, a series I hope to add to sporadically over the coming months. Neg and I had originally planned to spend much more time discussing his keen interest in philosophy, but, as you just heard for yourself, time got away from us very quickly indeed. I enjoyed the conversation and hope that you did as well. Although I've been actively involved in this scene for well over two years, I'm in reality still fairly new to it. One of the major things I took from the chat was the manner in which history repeats itself with would-be truth-tellers giving only so much information building a cult-like following around that, and then torpedoing everything with infighting, accusations of shillery, and drifting into obscurity. Is this all intentional, a method for the people who run the show to keep the masses from ever finding enough stability to build some kind of sizable intellectual resistance? Or is this merely a function of the foolishness and fickleness of the average person alive today, the result of well-meaning amateurs allowing a newfound following to go to their head, and egos clashing as a consequence. Is it some kind of combination of these elements? I don't pretend to have the answers. What I do know is that by listening to and engaging with the experiences of somebody who has been here longer than myself, 
I was able to put together a few more jigsaw pieces into what can sometimes seem like an endless puzzle. My hope is to reconvene with Neg sometime soon to go into other areas of interest, such as philosophical existentialism, which, although distinct from so-called conspiracy topics, has an overlap much greater than some people might realise. I'd like to end this presentation by briefly touching upon the role of micromedia in my life and in yours. It is all too easy to complain about the actions of others, the people running the show, the normies who refuse to consider new ideas, or the leading YouTube conspiracy people who focus on one area of research but refuse to address others. Oftentimes these criticisms are valid, but the only actions we have direct control over are our own. Do our actions align with our thoughts? For one reason or another, by accident or by design, the people who run the show have provided us with access to this thing called the internet. Any one of us can broadcast his or her research, thoughts, questions and conclusions to any one of us who is willing to listen. If we are unable to utilise this ability because we are too busy working for money, and we spend the money from working on products of the system, mainstream films and subscriptions, convenience foods, mass-produced trendy clothes, etc., then how are we not ourselves part of the very system we claim to dislike or oppose? Perhaps it is the case that by criticising the system, we externalise the criticisms we have of ourselves. We know that a life spent making money to buy trivial things is a life wasted, and we also know that there is no chain on our ankle and no gun to our head. We choose to take part in the system every day, and then tell ourselves and tell others that we had no choice at all. We say that if we did not go to work to earn the money to buy the things, that something bad would happen to us. And we use this claim to justify something much more horrific. The daily experience of telling ourselves we oppose the very system to which we ultimately devote the majority of our lives. As crazy as it might sound, this appears to be what the eugenicists, represented by Huxley et al., may have been trying to avoid, for they could see the horror of it. Intelligent, thinking people, working pointless jobs and living uncreative lives. What torture. And so they sought to slowly but surely stupidify the masses, physiologically, mentally and spiritually, so that the necessary menial tasks would be carried out by humans in name and appearance only. With the advent of mass immunization, common core education, and the pernicious indoctrination of nihilistic religions like scientism, the eugenicists are well on the way to achieving their apparent goals. A society of epsilons no more capable of deep, reflective thought than a cow chewing grass in a paddock. The Huxleys at least told us their beliefs and followed through with their actions. There is no contradiction between their professed beliefs and their physical actions. Whether or not we agree with their ends or their motivations or even their means, we can acknowledge that at least they mirror their actions with their professed beliefs. The question is, how many of us can do the same? How many of us can honestly say that we spend our finite time in this realm really and truly reflecting what we say goes on in our hearts and our minds? And if our lives, when seen from a distance, are ultimately every bit as devoted to the system as the lives of the eugenicists, 
but we spend our time speaking of its evil, while they spend their time speaking of its necessity and its humanity, then who is really the one deserving of criticism? If two people are both devoting their finite time to the system, one of them writes about the necessity of it, while the other decries it as evil, then who is really the evil among them? Actions speak louder than words. For those of us who criticize the system, what do our actions, as individuals, say about us? This seemingly rhetorical question is intended to encourage whoever might listen to it to think about who and what they are, today and in this moment. This has been my overarching goal with the content I've produced and now house at my micromedia platform, johnlebond.com. I accept that I still partake in the system, but for some time now my life has been dedicated to utilizing the tools in front of me to better think for myself and to encourage others to think for themselves. Actions speak louder than words.